Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ranking of the Stars, a podcast in which I, Jack Dilopoblik, and my lovely, luscious, lunar eclipse wife, <laughs> Hi, I'm Emily Dilopoblik, watch in chronological order every single movie that has won the Oscar for Best Picture, and today's movie is The Best Years of Our Lives. The Best Years of Our Lives. Yes. I didn't come up with an alternative title. I've been slacking. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, alternative title could be possibly the worst years of our lives because <laughs> I don't understand why this movie was called the best years of our lives, mm. but we should get to that at the end. Three veterans, three hours. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Let's see the poster. Yes. <laughs> and wouldn't you guess it? Damn it's it. heads. <laughs> One step forward, five steps back. <laughs> How will we ever make any progress? Yeah, this one is just orange background with some oh, white stripes. This is a damn magazine cover you see at the yeah. like grocery store checkout in the 40s. Yes. What is this dookie nonsense? And it's just yeah, the, the best years of our lives in quotation marks Yeah. at the, at the top. And then the five... Well, hold on. Not one of the, even. not even the all the protagonists. One of the soldiers is missing from the poster. Yeah, where's Homer? <laughs> this is the worst poster. I, they left him out because he's not a, a big Hollywood celebrity. He was a un, yeah. untrained actor. He was a veteran himself. Yeah, so no name recognition. Yeah, but the story focuses on three veterans. So where the heck is the third one? Well, I know it's shitty and <laughs> stupid, but yeah. that's why they did it. Yeah. Why did they put Why did they put Fred's wife on it and not and not Homer? Because she's a pretty blonde lady, and Homer isn't. Yeah, Hollywood I, has its I priorities. I guess that's. I hadn't even realized it. I even thought I hadn't even thought about that before. It's shitty. Yep. Well, and he was, in my opinion, the best performance in the whole thing. Yes, he had for somebody who was not a professional actor, he did. He had a, a really great performance in this movie. Yeah, he was supernatural, not stilted or awkward at all. Yeah, and I actually I have read a, a fun fact about that today. Uh, the so the studio directed by uh, Samuel Goldwyn actually yeah uh, Samuel Goldwyn wanted him to take acting classes and the director William Wyler was pissed that Goldwyn ordered him to take uh, classes because he what he saw in the actor was his like raw powerful potential yeah, to play a veteran because he was a veteran himself so he didn't want him to you know, take acting classes and mess all of that up yeah if you make him self-conscious about it you'll ruin it yeah yep boo boo this poster <laughs> yeah this could have been a lot better it would have been a lot better if it was just the veterans themselves just the three of them on the poster maybe some like war background yeah put that scene of them when they first meet in the airplane on here yeah be, that would have been great that would have been great all the three of them like looking out of the window as the the scenery passes by yeah well another year another disappointing poster yeah when will the era of heads end? We're in the second decade of it. <laughs> Soon, hopefully. Yeah, Jesus. The, in the 60s, for sure, with all the drugs people will be doing, yes. we'll break out of these very 
bland uh, visual conventions. I feel like by the mid-50s, we'll, we'll get there. I hope so. I'm tired of the heads. Yep. I'm tired of posters that say absolutely nothing about the movie. Yep. Here's, the... here's the title and who's in it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Information about the movie. The movie was directed by William Wyler. It was produced by Samuel Goldwyn and distributed by RKO Radio Pictures. The release date was November 21st, 1946. The running time is 172 minutes. Or two hours and 50, two hours yeah. 40. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long one. It is. And the budget is estimated to have been somewhere between 2.1 and $3 million. I didn't find an exact number. There was just a, an estimation of what it would have cost to make this movie. And it made over $23.7 million at the box office. So, yeah. a really popular movie. Well, it's about veterans coming home from the war, which for the time it was released would be a, a ripped from the headlines kind of right. thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The characters and actors? Yep. All right. We have Frederick Marge, who plays Technical Sergeant Al Stevenson. Uh, we have Myrna Loy, who we saw in The Great Ziegfeld. She was uh, Ziegfeld's second wife. She plays Millie Stevenson. She's Al wife, Al's wife. Oh, she was actually in that movie? I thought you meant that she was his second wife in real life. No, no, she... no. She was the actress who played gotcha. uh, who played Ziegfeld in the, uh, Ziegfeld's second wife in the movie. Gotcha, gotcha. Yep. We have Teresa Wright, who we saw in Mrs. Miniver in the role of Carol. She plays Peggy Stevenson. She's Al and Millie's daughter. She works in a hospital. And she's getting typecast as the uh, the sweetheart for soldiers. Yes, yes. Which I think, you know, she's really good in that oh, yeah. role. She, she fits it perfectly. Yes. She's innocent and sweet looking. I think she, she fits perfectly in that role. We have Michael Hall, who plays Rob Stevenson. He is... Al and Millie's son. For the first hour of the movie. For the first hour of the movie, yeah. And we only see him at the beginning of the movie because his contract with Samuel Goldwyn expired during filming and Goldwyn didn't want to spend any more money on him to renew his contract. So we see him for maybe less than five minutes entirely and then he disappears. Yep. They go out on the town with just his wife and his daughter. And yeah. I don't think you ever see him again. It's like, we know they're a family of four, but... But mostly they're just a family of three. Yep. He gets so upset that he was left out of that uh, <laughs> bar crawl that he runs away and joins the circus. Well, he's also... One thing that I thought about is that their daughter, I think, is over 21, but he's not. He's still in high school or he's in the beginning. Either he's at the end of high school or maybe a freshman or a sophomore in college. So he's underaged and can't go out with them. Yeah, he's the but. younger but it's never really fully explicitly explained. Uh, we have Dana Andrews, who plays Captain Fred Derry. John Everyman. Yes, he's... I don't know how to explain it. He looks a little bit like John Hamm. Yeah, I can see I that. I think. Uh, his parents are briefly played by Roman Bonin and Gladys uh, George. 
Andrews uh, played a lot in a lot of noir films, and uh, he made he made most of his careers in the 30s and 40s. After that, in the 50s, his care, uh, career kind of declined. That makes sense. He's very good at loud silences and stoically looking at things. Yeah, and I guess he was kind of typecast to play a variety of active duty soldiers and veterans in a lot of movies. Looks good in uniform. He does. He does. He's very handsome. Yeah. Yeah. Black curly hair, strong jaw. Yep. He's got a, a really nice voice too. Like I feel like he could have been in a different career and in, in a different life. He could have had a, a very successful career as a, a radio man. Yeah. He's got a, a very, not necessarily deep, but very soothing voice. Uh, smooth. Yeah. Smooth, but can also uh, be forceful with it. Yeah. We have Virginia Mayo, who plays his wife, Mary Derry. Mary Derry. Mary Derry. Was it Marie? Marie. I think they say Marie. All right. I put it as Marie in the synopsis. All right. (laughs) It's spelled like it is in, it's spelled in in French, M-A-R-I-E, Marie. (laughs) Marie Derry. I don't know. Mary Derry. I like Mary Derry better. Instead of Marie. Yeah, but I think it's I think they say Marie. All right, I'll go with that. I'll try to remember it. And then we have Harold Russell, who plays Petty Officer Second Class Homer Parrish. Russell himself was a World War II veteran who lost both his hands in a demolition training accident. So the hooks that he's got in the movie are real hooks that replaced his hands. Yeah, I was wondering about that for the majority of the movie. But then there's a scene towards the end where he takes the hooks off and you see that he legitimately doesn't have his hands. Yes. Yeah. And finally, we have Kathy O'Donnell, who plays his fiance. Her name is Wilma Cameron. Wilma. Yay! It was ironic because Wilma was Fred Flintstone's wife, and Homer is a real kind of Barney Rubble type character to me. Yeah. So Barney gets Fred's wife. <laughs> and the other guy's named Fred. Oh my god, this, <laughs> this is a modern retelling of the Flintstones. <laughs> so many crossovers yep you ready for fun facts let's do it all right there's a lot of them um the movie is also known or at least the story is also known under the titles of glory for me and home again home again would have been a lot better i think so yeah i think it would have been more appropriate i think yeah yeah Apparently, Samuel Goldwyn got the inspiration to make a movie about veterans and their difficulties in reintegrating life after the war after reading an article in Time in 1944. And he then hired a former war correspondent named uh, McKinley Cantor to write a story, which was first published under the title Glory for Me. And filming started on April 15, 1946, just about eight months after the end of World War II. Yep. Fresh issue. Yep. It was the highest grossing film in the U.S. and in the U.K. since Gone with the Wind. And it is the sixth most attended movie of all time in the U.K. Over there, it sold over 20 million tickets. And in fact, it was also the, the highest grossing movie of the 40s. Yeah, that yeah, says something. It was the issue of the times. Yeah, issue of the time. It was no, definitely 
yeah, a pressing matter to deal with uh, veterans' PTSD and, and troubles reintegrating civilian life after the war. Yep, something everyone in the entire world can relate to. Yeah, so. definitely. The movie takes place in the fictional town of Boone City, which was based on Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah, I caught that doing the synopsis. The only... I think the only time you hear it is when he's asking for his plane ticket in the beginning. Yeah. A ticket to Boone City. Boone City. Uh, At the beginning of the movie, when Fred, Homer, and all are flying over Boone City, they catch a glimpse of Jackson High Football Stadium. And what we actually see is the Corcoran Stadium at uh, Xavier University in Cincinnati. Which I knew about Xavier's university, but I didn't know that it was that old. Like, I didn't know that it already existed in the 40s. Because it wasn't so far from the university where I got my master's. So I've been on that campus before. Mm-hmm. I also read that Weiler asked the protagonists in the movie to buy their own clothes for the movie. Uh, because he wanted them to have clothes in that they felt comfortable wearing and so that they could feel natural in their in their clothes and not have to wear costumes. Just a, a different mental framing of between costume and actually your own clothes. Yeah. Sure. I can see it. Yeah, Am so I... it felt like they they were in yeah, that they were in their own clothes, that they were in their own bodies almost and not in yep. somebody else's clothes. So you can act natural. Yeah. Another fun fact is that at the beginning, at the time of filming, Teresa Wright was only 13 years younger than Myrna Loy, who plays her mother. That the Stevensons? Yes. Yeah, they don't look that much different from each other. Yeah. Breaking news, audience. We've just received a text from my father. Yeah. Who's pres- provided us with an alternative title for this film. His alternative. his alternative (laughs) title is now what which i think yeah that works that works that works for me all right more fun facts back to our regularly scheduled programming (laughs) apologies for the interruption there are some factual errors in the movie Uh, one of them includes referring to fred as an air force captain when in fact the Air Force was not officially created until September 18th, 1947. So a year, close to a year after the movie was released. How did they the, know the to name, call it? The name already existed, it but wasn't... it hadn't been established as an official name for that branch of the of uh, the military. Yeah, I wondered about that because my grandfather was in the Army Air Corps. Yeah, so, yeah, at the time of World War II, what is now called the Air Force was the Army Air Corps. Yep. So the name had already been created. It just hadn't been enforced as an official entity. Yeah, it's like how people knew about the Space Force became before it became a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Another error deals with where Fred, All, and Homer met. Uh, During the war, Fred was in Europe, dropping bombs uh, over Germany, while Al and Homer fought on the Pacific Theater. So when coming back to the U.S., Fred would have flown back to the East Coast, and Al and Homer would have been sent back to the closest airport uh, on the West Coast. So 
I read from the fun facts on Amazon that it's a little bit of a stretch, but if Fred returned with his flying crew, he could have uh, made it to one of the air bases on the West Coast uh, where aircrafts were being stored at the time, and that's where they could have met and flown home. Yeah. They were all going to the same place. So. Yeah. There's a scene in the movie when Homer is lighting cigarettes for all three of them. I don't know if you saw that in the fun facts. Um, After lighting all and Fred's cigarettes, he asked them if they're superstitious. And they said that they're not, but uh, Homer says he is. He blows out the flame and lights up a new one for himself. And that's apparently a reference to a superstition amongst troops during World War I. It even has a name, the three-on-a-match superstition. and refers to the fact that enemies see the first light, they take aim on the second, and they pull the trigger on the third light. Good sniper can spot a, a cherry for miles. Yeah. All right, a few more fun facts. I wondered about that one, too, because I caught it both times, when our initial watch and the synopsis where he asked if they're superstitious, and yeah. I had no idea what he was talking about. Me neither, only when looking at the fun facts. In one of the scenes, all Fred and Homer meet up at a bar, and Homer tries to order, I think, whiskey or bourbon, and or some hard liquor of some sort but the bartender tells him that he can have any kind of beer instead this is where we understand that homer wasn't quite 21 yet because even though the drinking age back then wasn't 21 nationwide some towns had their own rules for drinking so beer if you were under 21 and beer and liquors if you were over 21 and also the fact that the person denying Homer the hard liquor was a family member. Right. So. Right. Yeah. The movie was amongst the first 25 movies to be selected by the Library of Congress for preservation. It still, it reached a, a high 97% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards. And the list is as follows. Best Motion Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Frederick March, Best Supporting Actor for Harold uh, Russell, Best Screenplay, Best Film Editing, Best Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture, Best Sound Recording, and Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award, which was won by uh, Samuel Goldwyn. The only Academy Award that they didn't win was for Best Sound Recording. And in addition to winning Best Supporting Actor, Harold Russell was also given an honorary award for, quote, bringing hope and courage to his fellow veterans through his appearance, unquote. He's the only person in history to win two Oscars for the same character. Yes. For the same performance. Yes. Because... You told me that, but they didn't expect him to win Best Supporting Actor, so yeah. they had created an honorary award for him, but then he won uh, He won the Best Supporting Actor He's anyway. He's untrained. He couldn't possibly <laughs> stand up to all these uh, professional actors, and then yeah. he did, so he got two. Yeah. And uh, another fun fact about that is that Russell actually ended up selling his Best Supporting Actor statuette in 1992. Yeah, I believe it said he was the first one to ever sell... Yes. His Oscar and claimed that he did it for to uh, pay for his wife's medical bills. Mm-hmm. 
but then the the fun fact said this has been disputed <laughs> but it didn't say how it had been disputed okay i didn't say what other reason what the other reason was yeah or I, it might have been for him selling his oscar i mean it's his oscar he can do whatever he wants with yeah it. and finally the losers bracket for that year includes henry the fifth glad it wasn't that one it's a wonderful life that's the christmas movie right yeah the, we could have watched that clarence i will live again i've never seen it but i would I've love never, to never seen it either i've only seen it referenced in other pop culture stuff yeah the razor's edge and that could be neat. what do you think it's about the razor's edge yeah no idea racing cars going fast all right living on the edge <laughs> living on the edge and the yearling that sounds less <laughs> appealing yeah out of all of these i think the only one i I would want to see is the it's a wonderful life just because we've mentioned it before it 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 had one of the the actors i think it's uh james stewart if i remember his name correctly it's also by the same guy who did you can't take it with you though yes it would just i think it would just be that kind of sappy sentimentality again yeah maybe a little less insulting I feel like it's one of those, like the, oh, what is it called? The Christmas Carol, when you take a, a good, hard look at your life and uh, try to make some changes moving forward. Yeah. L- learning the true meaning of Christmas, being visited by ghosts. Yep. All right. Having a revelation. <laughs> I'm ready for the synopsis. All righty. This uh, is in the running for longest synopsis I've done. Uh, not counting Gone with the Wind that was split into two separate synopsis because this movie is dense. It is yes. long and it is dense. Oh, another opening credits over a plain fabric background. We're starting a trend here. You noticed it this time, right? I did. Just, just beige. Might even be too strong of a word to call it a pattern. Like you can see <laughs> shapes in the in the beige, but. I hope I hope it's just a twofer and we move past this quickly. I don't want to get stuck in a beige desert. Uh, then we're in a busy airport where an Air Force officer, Fred, apro- approaches the counter and asks if they have any flights for Boone City. This is uh, a peek into how you could operate in an airport back in the 40s where you just walk up and, hey, do you have any tickets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that shit doesn't fly nowadays. Same day, there's just... Not even worrying about how much it'll cost. Yeah, what planes do you have? Uh, He just got back from overseas and is trying to get home. They don't have any flights for him that day, but uh, the woman at the counter suggests he might have better luck at the ATC, which I think stands for Air Traffic Control. Yes. Fred goes there, and they also don't have any flights, but they take his information and will call him if anything comes up. This is a much smaller room that is stuffed with... Everyone from every branch of the military, they're in all the seats. Some of them are just lying on the floor because this is where they are directing all the soldiers to. Yeah. It also sounds like the name Boone City to me doesn't sound like it would be a place where there would be an airport. Because when I heard Boone City, the first thing that came to my mind was like the boonies. Yep. So in middle of nowhere. <laughs> well, this is kind of what Ohio is. Yeah. He goes to wait in a corner of the room next to a young sailor, just as a soldier, um, a different soldier, comes up and asks for volunteers to help him load, help the soldier load a heavy piece of machinery onto a plane. The young sailor doesn't get up to help, and one of the men who does sneers at him, What's the matter? Tired? Some time later, Fred is called up to the counter. He's fallen asleep, they call his name, mm-hmm. and 
uh, the shot is from uh, the counter's point of view. So you just see like Fred off in the corner of the room. They they call his name and he like uh, jolts awake and almost falls out of the chair. Yeah. He's called to the counter along with the young sailor whose name turns out to be Homer Parrish. Fred and Homer are booked on the same flight and given papers to sign, at which point it's revealed that Homer is missing, missing both of his hands and has prosthetic hooks. Fred and the man at the counter are taken aback, and the man at the counter offers to help Homer with the papers, but Homer declines. What? You think I can't spell my own name? He says. Which I enjoy, because it felt like it was a, a nice... That's one of the first things that he says, and you see him, you know, writing, assigning his name, and that already tells you that there's a little bit of a sense of humor about his injuries. Yeah. It bothers him in his private moments, but when he's out in public, he uh, he's very jovial and, and jokey about it. There's uh, a scene later on where uh, a stranger asks them about them, and he claims that they work by radar. Yeah. And that he just, uh, he didn't lose them in an accident. He just uh, got tired of washing his hands. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he traded them in for the, the latest model. Uh, Fred and Homer then board the plane together, finding a middle-aged sergeant to be the only other passenger. And this is not like a regular commercial plane. This is a military plane. So they're yeah. just in the belly of it. Like in the, there's no seats or anything. It, it's just the, the structure of the plane. Yes. I don't think I'd ever, I had ever seen a plane like that before. Of that model? Yeah. That shape, yeah, it's a it's a bomber plane. Of that that model, that shape, but also you know they're able to see uh, there's you know the end of the plane is just made of glass, like they can see. That's the under What's on underneath them? Yeah, there's a, a cockpit above them, but they have the little uh, viewing port. Yeah. For yeah, the bomber's chair. That was neat. Yeah. Introductions all around, and we learn that the sergeant's name is Al Stevenson. How long have you been away from home? Fred asks Al couple centuries <laughs> al replies yeah they're all in different branches and all in different ranks yes uh, homer and al are enlisted though al is the higher rank and then fred is an officer yes we have a captain a sergeant and an officer yep after a takeoff the men sit in the nose of the plane and look at the scenery commenting on how beautiful it all is they're sitting in the the bomber bay mm -hmm. the little window so you can just see the the ground moving by Fred isn't as impressed as the others, though, because he was a bomber during the war, so he's seen it all many times before. The three men each have a cigarette, then, with Homer striking the match and lighting them all. He's very, very dexterous with his hooks. We yeah. see him do, we see him light cigarettes and strike matches and uh, eat food and open doors. Hold glasses. Yep, all he kind. even shoots. Yeah, shoots a gun, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Fred says that Homer must have seen a lot of action because of his hands, but Homer tells him he didn't see as much as you might think. He was in a lot of battles, sure, but he worked below decks uh, on his ship in the repair shop, so he didn't actually see very much of the mm. conflict. He just heard it mostly. Then the ship he was on was sunk. There was a lot of fire and explosions, and he was ordered topside, and he jumped overboard when he got there. Next thing he knew, he was waking up on a cruiser, and his hands were gone. The Navy took care of him, though, gave him his prosthetics and taught him how to use them. He can open a beer, he can drive a car, he can even put a nickel in a jukebox, <laughs> he says. He's not worried about himself, but he does have a high school sweetheart back home named Wilma. And even though she already knows about his hands, she's just a kid, he says, and she hasn't ever seen anything like them before. The two older men reassure Homer that she'll be able to handle it. 
Uh, and then we get a montage of aerial shots. We just see the and the ground moving by. We get some cool shots of the clouds. Yeah. From uh, a plane's eye view too. And after the montage, some time has passed, and it's the night. Uh, and Homer is asleep, and Fred and Al talk about coming home. Uh, and Al is worried that people are going to try and rehabilitate him. And all Fred wants is a nice little house for him and his wife. Uh, give me that, and I'll uh, be rehabilitated like that, he says. Yeah, the, I think all of them are a little bit... Nervous. Nervous and not really... I mean, they can't know yet, but they're... It feels like they all think that it's going to be an easy uh, readaptation. I don't but... think so. Homer's <sighs> definitely doesn't think it's going to be easy because of his hands. And this conversation between Fred and Al starts off with Fred saying something about uh, yeah, being a little anxious about coming back from overseas. Yeah, but they don't seem... To, to me, at least, they didn't seem super nervous. Yeah, it's a very low-level anxiety. Yeah. These are men in the 40s also, so... Yeah. Emotions are not. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional honesty is not their strong point. After Fred says that he just wants a little house for him and his wife, uh, Al tells him he's been married too for 20 years. And uh, Fred's response to that is, holy smoke. <laughs> I didn't even get 20 days with my wife before I was shipped out. Fred, he married a girl he met while in training in Texas. So at least the Air Force trained in the same place. Yes. Because that's where I went to. Yeah. Base in Texas. Lackland Air Force Base. Then a quick scene of Homer watching the sunrise over the clouds with tears in his eyes. And then they're flying over their hometown, pointing out the football field, golf course, and the new plane junkyard. Yeah, Homer also says before that he's the first person in his family to ever be on an aeroplane, mm -hmm. he calls it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a little mismatch here because they're all supposed to be from... Ohio or from uh, what is based uh, made to be based on, on Ohio but Homer or the the actor who plays Homer Harold Russell has a very heavy Boston accent yeah use guises <laughs> what, yeah you telling me my uh, shipmates were all suckers <laughs> what do you want about Pally no, I'm from Ohio. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, then we're with the trio as they ride in a taxi together, looking at all the small town sites. We see yeah, just all the things passing by. They're looking at like the mm -hmm. fire station, uh, a woman pushing a baby in a carriage, and a used car lot. You know, oh, we're back in America. Yeah. Uh, they pass by a bar called Butch's, and Homer informs the other two that Butch is his uncle and says that they should stop by sometime. They make it to Homer's stop first, and as they pull up, he wonders aloud if Wilma is home. The taxi stops, and Homer suggests that maybe they should go make that trip to Butch's right now, and go home after a couple of drinks. Go home now, kid, Al says gently. They know he's just trying to stall. I like the, the camaraderie yeah. these guys had. Yeah. All None of them are, are, are tough love. They're all very understanding of each other's anxieties, and he pushes homer here but he does it very gently in a you need to get this over with and, yeah. and face it see i thought that all's uh sentence here was you're home now and that it was like you're already here that you just need to get out of this car you just need to get out of a taxi and then yeah get away get over with it yep homer gets out of the taxi 
and approaches the house. But before he can make it more than a few feet, a little girl bursts out of the house screaming that it's Homer. It's Homer. He's back. It's his younger sister. Yeah. Like, Luciella, I think her name is her name. Something along those lines. I didn't find her on the cast, so I have no idea. She runs to the house next door yelling for Wilma and then goes back to Homer and wraps him in a hug while Fred and Al watch from the taxi. There's a line of shrubs separating his and Wilma's house, but there's like a little uh, divot in Mm -hmm. one of the bushes that she jumps through. It's like there's a path worn through the bush because she jumped through it so many times. Homer's parents come out and welcome him uh, home as well, and then Wilma slowly approaches from next door with a smile, kissing and hugging him while he stands with his arms at his side. He doesn't hug her back when she yeah. hugs him. Also, his parents look like the that couple from that famous painting of the farmer hol- <laughs> holding the pitchfork. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. His dad looks exactly like that guy in the picture. Yeah, I can see that. They're just simple farming folk. The taxi pulls away because uh, Fred told the the taxi driver to wait while they watched Homer to make sure everything was okay. And then the taxi pulls away and Homer raises an arm to say goodbye while both his parents' eyes follow the hook on the end of his arm as it goes up and then goes back down. It's a good good touch, attention to detail. He raises his arm and his back is turned to them so he can't even see it. But you see both their eyes just immediately latch onto the hook and their eyes go up as he raises his arm and then it goes back down as the hook goes back to his side. There's like their eyes are magnetized to it. His mother swallows a sob and his father says it's because she's so happy to see him again. Homer picks his bag up and heads inside and his mother breaks down and sobs once he's out of sight while Wilma comforts her. Yeah, that was a, I feel like it was an unexpected reaction from his family. Yeah. I think that's, it was a, a good depiction of what everybody thought it would be. Yeah, it would be like just people being extremely happy that he was back, but just also super sad for him uh, that he had lost his hands. Yeah. It's uh, an excellent depiction of a group of people feeling half a dozen strong emotions at once. Yeah. And the awkwardness that comes with that and uh, the difficulty of navigating it. And Yeah. Yeah, the happiness and also the sorrow. Yeah, this this movie does a, a really great job with illustrating the depth and complexity of emotion without being ham-fisted or uh, melodramatic. Yeah, it's it's never over exaggerated. There's just the the right amount of emotions. Yeah, it's very uh, genuine and, and real. Yeah. Uh, back in the taxi, Al says that the Navy taught Homer how to use his hooks, but not how to hug his girl or to stroke her hair. Al is the next one to be dropped off. I feel like I'm storming a beach, he says. <laughs> and when the taxi stops at an upscale apartment building, Fred asks Al if he's a retired bootlegger. <laughs> Nothing so honorable, says Al. Uh, I'm a banker. And then he's hesitant to get out too and. uh, Uh, Fred makes a joke about, uh, no, we're not going back to the bar for you either. Yes. Uh, We then follow Al into the lobby and up the elevator to the fourth floor where he knocks on the door. He also has a little kerfuffle with uh, the person in the lobby like, oh, who are you? Where are you going? I need to announce you. And he's like, I live here. (laughs) Don't bug me. This, yeah, this, this movie, it shows a lot of the minutiae that characters do. Like, it doesn't, a lot of movies are, are sped up 
for you know pacing issues mm-hmm. and they don't show you all the stuff that would actually happen if people were doing this in real life but this yeah. movie does yeah but it doesn't feel padded out in the way that mrs miniver did because yeah. i th- i've thought about it and i think in that movie it felt like they were padding for time yes. like they're just showing people like stopping and like winding clocks and shit mm. but in this movie there's a lot of that minutiae, but it's all really natural and fits in with whatever the people are doing. And um, a lot of the time also speaks to something about their character, too. Yeah, and it also, in this one, it really feels authentic because Al says, you know, he's been gone for a couple decades. So obviously he hasn't been gone for a couple decades, but he he's been gone for so long that people have forgotten who he is that's shown in yeah. in that scene when the the clerk at the entrance like says who are you who are you visiting i need to announce you it's like yeah i live here yep oh you're mr stevenson yes i'm my, uh, mr stevenson the doorman at your own building doesn't recognize you anymore yeah yep the world has moved on without you so he goes up uh, and knocks on his door and his son opens it and al quickly puts a hand over his mouth before he can say uh, anything and he asks his son where the, uh, his mom is. And it, you hear another man's voice coming from behind the door before yeah. he knocks on it. My reaction was like, oh, shit, she's, she yeah. has somebody else. Because we don't know that they have kids. Yeah, I thought so. that for a second, too. <laughs> like, oh, this is about to be a... Yeah, this a, is about to be awkward. This is about to go real bad, real fast. But it didn't. It was just his son. Uh, his daughter comes out of the next room and is similarly shushed. Uh, and in the kitchen, his wife, in the middle of asking for a third time who's at the door, suddenly stops and slowly walks into the hallway where she sees Al. The two rush to each other and kiss while the kid looks, kids look on and smile. I love it when you just get to watch mom and dad make out in the hallway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is another really, yeah, realistically done scene where she's just in the kitchen doing something like, who is it? Who's knocking? Answer me, goddammit! <laughs> And then she has the realization and just you can just see it hit her where she just stops right in the middle of what she's doing and slowly puts down the the plate she was holding. And then she knows what's going on and she almost can't believe it. And then she slowly walks out to the hallway and then it's Al. It was a it reminded me it's I made a comparison in that with that scene with uh, the scene when Ashley comes back from the war in Gone with the Wind and you have him and Melanie, you know, running to each other. Obviously, in here, we're in an apartment. There's no space for them to be, like, running uh, to each other for a while. But I, in comparison with the scene from Gone with the Wind, this one uh, was... She walked slowly to him, but it didn't feel... It didn't feel cheesy. It didn't feel, like, quirky almost. It just felt like a normal reaction, like she's taking in that he is back and that she's going to be able to touch him and hug him in a few seconds. Yeah. She's in shock. Yeah. He's been gone for so long and then all of a sudden he's back and then, yeah, they move slowly towards each other at first and then gain momentum. Like they're magnetized to each other and then hug and smooch. His wife says she needs to call the neighbors and let them know that they won't be making it to dinner. And while she does, the kids come and give their own hugs to Al and he marvels at how much they've grown. We even see that phone call where she's like, yes, I'm sorry. No, I mean, I'm happy. And then she just 
she's choking up and, and doesn't even know what to say or how to explain to, to people that Al is back. That, yeah, it was a little awkwardly done because she is on the phone. She says, my husband, my husband, he's back. But we also see Al's face while she's saying my husband. Um, It almost felt like he was surprised that she was calling him my husband. I don't know how, how else to explain it, but it, it felt like an awkward scene where she it almost felt like she was having to explain that she had a husband yeah we do get a close-up of al's face where he's like it looks like he has a look of concern and I, yeah i don't know what that was about yeah and you're right it is awkward but it's intentionally awkward it's uh, all the awkwardness is in this movie is intentional and just people being awkward in the way they would be awkward in yeah. these sort of situations then we're back with Fred as he gets dropped off uh, at a shack on a dirt road under several overpasses. Yeah, he's like, I made the comment, oh, uh, back to the uh, the meth lab because yes. it's, it's just a rundown wooden shack. Yeah, there's highway overpasses right next to it with a bunch of like overgrowth coming down off of them. He's in a much uh, less uh, well-kept area of town than the other yeah. two were. Because Homer's just like in the the suburbs, and then Al lives in that really fancy uh, apartment complex, and then Fred comes home to this wooden shack on a dirt yeah. road. Yeah, and I guess there's a there was a little bit of, of bias for me in what I thought his house would look like because he's a captain. Yeah, he's an and officer. I, ex- I expected no, he's he's the captain. He's captain. But the captain's, but Homer cap- captain's is, an officer rank. I'm confused right here because Homer is an officer. Uh, I think petty officer. Yeah. The, so in ranking, Homer is a, is below much, uh, much all, and all is below Fred. Yes. Uh, Homer and Al are both enlisted ranks. Yes. Which is a, a completely separate track from officers. Officer, even the lowest ranking officer outranks the highest ranking enlisted. So. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Fred is a captain, so yeah. I expected him to be coming back to a better house or apartment than what he's coming back to. Yeah, it was a surprise for me, too. Uh, he goes inside and greets uh, wh- who I assume is his stepmother because he calls her by her first name and he calls his dad Pop. Yeah. So I think if that was his biological mother, he would have a similar... In in the cast, she's only listed as... Uh, I don't think she's listed as his mother. She's just listed as Mrs. Hortense Derry. And that's what he, call, he calls her Hortense. Yeah. Hi, Hortense. He's the first one she sees. And she's just like in a, a bathrobe. And these are... They feel like rednecks. Like hill people, kind of. Because she's just in like a bathrobe. And uh, they're in this wooden shack. And she's just like... She's hanging up laundry on a string inside. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So he greets her, and she pulls him into the next room where his father sits. Uh, Look at your hero son, she says. Dad gets up and grabs Fred's hand, overwhelmed by emotion. His dad is very soft-spoken, like always at a loss for words. And even when he does say something, he he whispers it in a very quiet, soft voice. Yes. Man of very few words. Well, don't you have anything to say? Asked the stepmother. She's just, she's as outgoing as the father is reserved. So they're an odd couple. Glad to see you, my boy, says dad, except he's like, glad to see you, my boy. (laughs) Because that's the level he speaks at. If people can actually hear what you just said, I'll be surprised. 
Uh, Fred asks where his wife Marie is, and they tell him that she doesn't live with him anymore. She got a job in a nightclub and moved into an apartment uptown. And that was another moment for me where I was like, oh, shit, what is he coming back to? Yep. They forwarded all his letters and checks to her, though, and they saw her last Christmas. She's doing fine. They ask Fred to stay for dinner, but he declines, heading out to find his wife instead. Then we're back with Al, who's handing uh, out his war loot to his son. He gives him a katana and a Japanese flag he found on a dead soldier, which is covered in messages and well wishes from the soldier's relatives. <laughs> I took this off a corpse. Here you go, son. Yeah, the katana I can I can understand, but the flag. Yeah, the... it was. It felt it felt a little awkward to take something like that from uh, from a dead soldier. You know, my own grandfather came back from the war with a Japanese flag. I do not yeah. know if it was covered in messages or not because my grandmother threw it away. Threw it away. <laughs> not like a, an artifact from a world war would be valuable. Thanks, Grandma. He had a German Luger, too. Ugh. She also threw that away? Yep. It all went in the trash. Both? Oh, Jesus. Yep. No understanding of value or, yeah, history. But also, he he came back and uh, never wanted to talk about the work. It was bad memories, so maybe she just didn't want him to have reminders of his bad time. Probably. Uh, the Japanese attach a lot of importance to the family relationship, says the son. And then Al says, yes, they're very different from us. <laughs> uh, then he asks Al if he was at Hiroshima and if he noticed any effects of the radioactivity on the people there. No, says Al. Should I have? Uh, then his son goes on about how his physics teacher says that with atomic energy and jet propulsion and radar, we have to all find a way to live together or else. Uh, but Al already knows all about that. I don't, says Al. It was a really good scene. It was a really well-written scene between the father and son, I thought, because it shows... A, it shows how much difference there is between all and his son in terms of how well-spoken they are but it definitely shows how awkward it is for all to come back and not know how to answer his his son's questions about the war yeah, it's the differences in perspective between the people that were at home hearing about it and the yeah. people who are actually there experiencing it because the son's like oh you already know all about this stuff and i was like no i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> yeah he says i should have stayed home so i kind of uh, i could have learned what was really going on <laughs> i also wonder if that was some uh if they're implying that uh, the uh, effects on hiroshima were being uh, blown out of proportion or something like that He's like, oh, you've heard about all the radioactivity. And I was like, no, I have no idea what you're... So I wonder if that was them being like, oh, it's being blown out of proportion in the media about what we've done. It was some sort of like hand-wavy thing to excuse what we did. I mean, for the time, it probably was. But like nowadays, we know that it wasn't blown out of proportion. There are definitely yeah. some like long-lasting effects of what happened yeah, in I wondered, Hiroshima. I wondered if this was a an ignorance of the time. Like, oh, we did, we just turned two cities into burning tar. It's not that bad. Yeah. Uh, Peggy then comes in and says she finished washing the dishes, and Al asks what happened to their maid. She quit three years ago, says Peggy, but it's okay because I took a domestic science class. <laughs> hey, those classes can be valuable, you know? My... Uh... 
it wasn't called that in France, but a lot of home economics. Yeah, home economics, like where uh, women, I think back in the like you know 30s 40s 50s 60s up to the 80s in professional schools my mom had to take a a home economics class when she was in high school to learn to sew learn to cook learn to do like the like family budget and all that stuff so there's definitely a lot of value in it yeah the day-to-day minutiae yeah it was the way she phrased it like domestic science class that was not what i expected it makes a lot more sense to me to call it home economics yeah how to do the everyday shit that needs to get done Uh, the children then go to bed and his wife asks what al thinks of the children they're too old he says he doesn't recognize them she apologizes and says she tried to keep them the way they were when he left but they got away from her He asks if Peggy has any boyfriends and is told she's very popular but isn't focused on anyone in particular. Well, says Al, have you told her the things she needs to know? (laughs) Like what, for instance? Uh, Coily responds his wife. Yeah. Deafening silence. (laughs) Like even husband and wife can't say the word sex. Yep. Not in the 40s. Yeah, they could have gone with the euphemism of the the birds and bees, right? Yeah, you know, the horizontal monster mash. (laughs) Yeah, deafening silence, then finally, well, have you? (laughs) (laughs) And his wife says she's worked in a hospital for two years now, Al. She knows more than you or I ever will. (laughs) That makes Al comment that youth is scary. And his wife asks, uh, weren't there any young people in the army? No, just old men like me, says Mm. Al. Then he asks if there's such a thing as a drink in this place, and his wife goes to the kitchen to get one. You notice how um, back in these days, so many uh, requests are framed as questions, like, oh, doesn't this thing I want exist? Yeah. And then that they don't directly ask for it. They just go, oh, where is it? And (laughs) that is enough for the usually the women around them to know that... uh, to go and and fetch it yeah he doesn't ask can you give me a drink or can you grab me a drink or something like that it's just yeah is there is there a drink is there something to be uh, drunk in this house have you ever heard of alcohol (laughs) Uh, in the kitchen his wife complains to peggy that she wishes she had more time to prepare for al's return and peggy tells her not to worry and to give it time you can't expect to pick right back up where you left off yeah, there's some awkwardness between them about like when they were talking in the other room, Al was just pacing around and leaning against the fireplace and she tells him to stop leaning and to actually sit down and quit yeah. pacing. And, oh, I'm comfortable leaning up against the fireplace. Yeah. So they're, they're still figuring out how to to live together in the same space again. Yeah, I like I enjoyed that their awkwardness somehow was still... It was focused around the kids. Like they were, instead of asking about each other, they were asking uh, about the kids and making sure that, you know, that he knew about about them more and what, what was going on with them. But I don't know. I would have loved maybe a little bit more interaction between the two of them actually like looking at each other. She's sitting down. He's, uh, he's standing up. There's not much. It doesn't feel very, it doesn't feel very loving in that scene to me yeah but like he said it takes some time they've been back together for less than a day so even if that's somebody you've been married to for over 20 years there's gotta be missing two three years is still a long time yeah 
enough time for people to uh, grow in different ways and become unfamiliar. Yeah, and he knows what he's been through uh, with the war. He doesn't necessarily know what she's been through. Yeah, and there's and there's no way to explain everything he's been through, even if they weren't in the 40s when men aren't supposed to be honest about how they're feeling. Yeah. So multiple layers of difficulty there. Alvin enters the kitchen excitedly and says he wants to go out on the town tonight, just the three of them. Uh, he spent so much time in jungles and around savages that he needs to find out what civilization is again. Oof. Yeah, again, savage here is the words from the movie, not from not our words. Yep. Uh, cue montage of neon club signs, dancing, singing, music, and drink. We get some uh, bebop music, yeah. some just, yeah shots of people dancing. Uh, of Al and his wife and daughter like sitting in a booth and laughing and then there's one where they have like all three of their noses pressed up against a window while they just watch people dance and sing and I think we get like three or four different uh, neon signs that flash across the screen yes they're definitely they're going bar hopping yep they're hitting the town then we transition back to Homer who's sitting in his parents living room with his mom dad sister Wilma and Wilma's uh, mom and dad Wilma's dad is forecasting doom with a rise in unemployment surely on the way. Uh, all these veterans coming back. Ve- veterans are being talked about in this context in the same way that immigrants are talked about nowadays. Yes. They're, they're going to come in and take everyone's job. So Yeah, that's the thing. It's, he's complaining about uh, veterans coming back and they're going to have you know priority for, for jobs and all that. They have to be rehabilitated and yeah. Yeah, these these goddamn native immigrants <laughs> going to come take our jobs. Uh, Wilma's mother asked Homer if he met General MacArthur. He did not. <laughs> He's so handsome, she says. Wilma's dad then offers Homer a job selling insurance because uh, veterans make great salesmen, especially disabled ones. Then Homer's mother comes out with some drinks and Homer drops his while, uh, when he tries to pick it up with his hooks, which I bet... Uh, it feels like he had to do that intentionally because the actor is competent enough with his hooks at this yes. point to to not make mistakes like yeah. this. So it's it's obvious when you see it that he like bumps it intentionally to to make it drop. And also we see him in multiple scenes after that where he's able to pick up larger glasses than the one he was offered at his house. Yeah, things both larger and smaller than yeah. this glass. So he drops it onto the floor and all eyes turn towards him. And his mother says, it's okay, it's okay, she can make another, uh, and Wilma can hold it for him. Everyone just jumps to uh, assure him it's not as bad as uh, he thinks it is. Yeah, I like, you know, the, oh, I can make another, but thereby Thereby proving it's just as bad as he thinks it is. Yeah, Yeah. I had issues with the, oh, Wilma can hold it for you. It's They don't know how to handle it. Yeah. It's, It's the realistic awkwardness of they don't. Yeah. They don't know how to operate in this situation. So Yeah, I understand that this is authentic and, and realistic. Yeah, I just she, I, it made me feel awkward. She she means well, but yeah. Should just ask Homer what he wants to do. Ever think of that? Uh Homer says he'd rather go out for a walk instead and leaves, leaving the others to soak in the awkward silence that follows. Yeah. Mm. Every as soon as he walks out of the room, everyone just makes eye contact and doesn't know what to say. Fade to Al drunkenly singing while he sits between his wife and daughter. They have one of those old-timey cars that just has a couch for the front seat. Mm-hmm. So they're all just uh, sitting side by side in the front seat. And his daughter is driving. 
Yeah. Which I found surprising. Uh, he spots another bar and has his daughter pull over for one more drink. Well, hold on. We had Mary in Wings. She was driving. Oh, yeah, and sure. And it was the I'm not, World War One. I'm not surprised that she can. I'm just surprised that... Uh, that he's letting her do it? That she's doing it uh, instead of the mom doing it. That huh. she's the, the one to be a... Just like 1940s family dynamics, I wouldn't think that a child would be allowed to be the one like having that much responsibility yeah in that, in that setting well see my thoughts here were like the mom to me doesn't feel like she has a job and that she doesn't need to know how to drive because she doesn't need to go anywhere yeah i think she's whereas, a, a homemaker yes whereas peggy uh, has to go to the hospital every day yep yeah i was a little unsure of peggy's age also until i saw her driving because I guess she still lives with them. She still lives with them. We know she's over 21. She's allowed to drink. Yeah, different I think. different standards between uh, yeah, sons and daughters back yeah. then. Because a son would have been expected to be out of the house by then. But uh, a daughter, you know. She's not married yet. Yeah. An, an unmarried daughter can live with the parents much longer yeah. in the 40s. Uh, yeah. He spots another bar and has his daughter pull over for one more drink. Just one more. And he, he does this little... Uh, skit with his wife where she wants to go home she's done with it and, uh but he pretends that she's the one and she goes uh you know what i'm thinking alan he goes i do and you'll you can only have one more drink so let's go <laughs> just one i won't hear any more then we see homer entering butch's where the titular butch is playing a jaunty tune on the piano uh, he's happy to see homer and takes him to the bar where fred happens to be sitting as well and Homer is finally allowed to order a drink like he's wanted to for so many years. The the barman shakes his hand and then says, what do you be having? And Homer says, you don't know how long I've uh, waited to hear those words. Yep. And then he tries to order a whiskey, but uh, his uncle Butch is there and says, no, he'll be having beer. Any kind of beer he wants, but beer. Beer. Yep. Butch asks why Homer isn't with his family, and Homer lies and says that they went to bed and he wasn't sleepy. Uh, then he turns to Fred and asks where Al is, and Fred tells him that he dropped Al off at the swankiest apartments in town. They'll never see him again. Mm. Al then bursts in the entrance and yells wildly when he spots Homer and Fred, like <laughs> on cue. We'll never see him again. And then he he Here kicks, he yeah, he kicks through the door, and he's uh, drunk and having a great time. He's like, "Oh, my buddies!" Ah, and he yeah yells and runs over and like pats him on the back a bunch and. A great deal of backslapping and merriment ensues while Al's wife and daughter stand in the doorway looking fed up and exhausted. <laughs> yeah, the, the camera pans to them and they they both just have this, ugh, we thought we could get out of here quickly, but now this is going to be a whole nother yeah. thing. Oh, God knows how many drinks he's had by then. Yep, here we go again. Uh, the group move over to a booth for more drunken revelry until Butch comes over and asks for a word with Homer. They move over to the piano, and as Butch plays, he asks Homer why he ran out on his family. He, uh, I think Butch... Like, he got a phone call. Yeah, got a phone call. Or from ca Wilma. Or called them or something. He found out what really happened. Homer tells him it's because they got him nervous. How? asks Butch. Because they can't just treat him like anybody else. They either stare at the hooks or intentionally look away. The other day, his father was cleaning his pipe like Homer has seen him do a million times, but all of a sudden, he got self-conscious and stopped, like he was guilty that he had hands and Homer didn't. Butch tells Homer he just needs to give them time to get used to it, and that things will settle down eventually. 
Unless they have another war, that is. Then they'll all be blown to bits on the first day. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, Butch. Yeah, that's uh, that's jovial. Uh, Al then comes over and requests a song so he can dance with his wife. Back in the booth, since Fred and his wife are dancing, it's just Peggy and Fred. Uh, uh, Fred, who is very drunk at this point. So you're Al's daughter, he says, mm. uh, drunkenly swaying. Actually, no, says Peggy. He's my son from a previous marriage. <laughs> Uh, which gets a little chuckle from Fred. Yeah. Uh, the dance then ends, and Al's wife tries to go back to the booth, but Al says, oh, no, you don't, and pulls her back for another dance while she sighs and rolls her eyes. I could never get a good feeling for ha- how wife's Al feels about this whole thing. How Al's wife? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because... She just bounces around from either excited and exuberant about his return to being exasperated by his drunken antics to playing along with his skits to rolling her eyes at them. Because while they're doing the first dance, they have that whole little thing where uh, he's super drunk and he looks at her and he goes, Oh, you remind me of my wife. He, he, well, his first thing is, you're a bewitching little creature, aren't you? <laughs> remember that line yep. you remind me of my wife and she goes she plays along she goes, oh you have a wife back home yeah uh, let's not think about her tonight and he goes, yes yes tonight is just for the two of us which was also awkward because it felt like this had happened to him uh, maybe when he was abroad during the war and we were about to find out that maybe he had an affair while he was abroad I I feel like they were both in on the joke. Yeah. They were playing out this little scene together. And that's why I can't get a bead on her because she plays along and feels like she's enjoying it. Like she's not being forced to or, you know, rolling her eyes while she's playing along. She's enjoying it, these interactions, and she's good at them. But then she's rolling her eyes at the second dance and, uh, you know, has been out too long and doesn't want to go to another bar and she just oscillates. She's just all over the road between uh, happiness and excitement to exasperation and rolling her eyes. I think she just doesn't want to go against him and she doesn't want to be confrontational or anything. He's just like, he just came back. So there's no point in, being confrontational getting into a fight she's just she's going along with it and just trying to limit the the damage there is a very resigned element to their relationship where she's like oh that's the way he is like nothing i can do about it so just grin and bear it a very common strategy for women those times i'm sure which made me wonder if maybe al was already already had trouble with alcohol before oh, he went to it the war. definitely seems like a n- not a new problem yeah something she's used to and uh, not surprised at at all in the booth fred is drunkenly rambling we just cut back in like mid monologue where he's like and that's what people should be thinking about nowadays and he pounds his uh, fist on the table uh and peggy says she wants to ask him a question go ahead he says as he leans over and puts his head on her chest mm. you mustn't be shy with me he says, why don't you call your wife, says Peggy. <laughs> uh, and then he uh, immediately gets his head up or off her chest when she says that. Couldn't find her in the phone book, he replies as he straightens back up. 
Al and his wife sit back down then, and Homer says goodbye over Al's loud protest. What do you mean you're leaving? You got more drinks? No! Says Al. (laughs) As a drunken person says when they want to keep partying. Yeah. And Al, he looks uh, at least... Uh, like my memory of uh, Ziegfeld from the great Ziegfeld. He's got the like slick back hair and kind of Salvador Dali-ish too. Yeah, like he's the got a little mustache. Little pencil mustache. Yeah. yeah Middle age. Handsome, but also you can see the wrinkles. Yeah. Aging well, but aging. And then Homer uh, leaves with Butch. And Butch says he's going to drive him home. Time passes and it's closing time with Al leaning heavily on his wife. And he asks Fred where... We're, where we're going next, old pal? And his ri- wife responds, just follow me, old pal, <laughs> as he leans on her. From there, we go to Fred being uh, dropped off at the aparts- apartments where his wife lives, but the door is locked and he collapses in a drunken heap uh, near the entrance. So Peggy and her mother get out and drag him back to the car and, and put him in. The The women are clearly in charge of just handling the men at this point. And this is what I'm talking about with uh, the minutiae in this film, because this scene of Fred trying to get into his apartment goes on for minutes, an an awkward amount of time, a a very realistically awkward amount of time that would, you know, it plays out how it would play out in real life where you drop a person off and then uh, you stick around to make sure they get inside. And then they try for like, he tries for like two or three minutes and we just sit there watching him trying to get inside. Yeah. And then the women, it gets awkward to the point where like, Oh, should we do, should we let him? And then he just walks over to the corner and collapses and think, Oh, well we got to get out and pick him up and get him back in the car. And you just get to see every step of this process. Yes. But it didn't bother me like it, it did in, in Mrs. Miniver because mm. it was it just felt so authentic and like, yeah, this is how this would actually play out in real life. Yeah. On a different note, I had some issue with the continuity here in the movie because he doesn't know where his wife works. His He doesn't know where yeah, she lives. That's why he... Yet somehow he they find the apartment. Yeah, he couldn't find her in the phone book, and he was out. That's why he was in Butch's bar, because he was going from bar to bar trying to find where his wife was. Yeah. But yeah, he knows where her her apartment is. Yeah, I can, yeah. He had a drunken epiphany. That's what happened. Back at Al's apartment, Peggy tucks Fred into bed, and he grabs her as she, like, leans over to put the the blanket on. He just grabs Mm -hmm. her. And he, oh, Peggy, and pulls her down onto him, but she uh, breaks away pretty easily and goes, I'm not that, Peggy. Yeah. Uh, and Al is put into his pajamas by his wife, and it's another scene where we like get to see the whole process where he's he's drunk, so pretty much all he can contribute to this process is he can sit up and not fall over. Yeah, but she sort of sit up. She has to maneuver his arms and everything. At one point, she has to like lean over and like put one of his arms on top of her head so she can get the other one into his sleeve. Yeah, she just has to maneuver this drunken guy into his pajamas yeah. and then he falls backward and he even falls back at an awkward angle. So she has to like readjust one of his arms. Yeah, all very true to life. Uh, sometime during the night, Fred starts having a PTS dream and uh, shouting that the plane is burning. Get out, get out. Peggy wake, wakes up from the commotion because she put him in her bed and she was just sleeping on the couch. Yes. So she wakes up from the commotion uh, and comes in and comforts him enough that he's able to fall back asleep. In the morning, Fred and Peggy have breakfast together, and Fred apologizes for acting out of line the night before. Peggy assures him that it's fine and offers to drive him to his wife's apartment uh, on her way to work. 
And Al's wife also comes in and uh, Al thanks her for everything and says that Al's a very lucky man. Yeah. Al wakes up alone in bed, seemingly confused as to where he is, and after stumbling around for a bit, he picks up a pair of shoes and throws them out the window. I did not understand that. I didn't either. Uh, my best guess is that they were his military feet, or military feet, <laughs> his military, <laughs> Jesus Christ, burn it, all, burn it all down, goodbye everybody, last episode, sorry. His military shoes, and they reminded him uh, of his time, and he was just getting rid of them, is what I thought. Mm, yeah, that's a that's a solid explanation. Yeah, there's like a, a, a jaunty musical sting yeah. as he lowers the shades after he chucks them out of the window. Uh, then he walks over to the mirror and holds up a photo of himself taken before the war and compares it to his current appearance. In the photo, he's younger looking. He doesn't have any facial hair. Yeah. Uh, he's much more just uh, well-kept because yeah. his reflection in the mirror, his hair is all mess again. He's got more wrinkles and the mustache, and he just he pokes at his hair a bit and just you know compares himself to the photo. Yes. From there, he goes to the shower but forgets to take his pajamas off. Mm. Uh, yeah, we just we see the the closed curtain and the water running and then uh, all of a sudden he goes ah and gets out and he, he still got his pajamas on which you know is also realistic if you're waking up from if you're hungover yeah. there are definitely a couple of things you forget to do before you get in a shower if you're hung up hungover enough to throw your shoes out the window you'll you'll definitely be getting in the shower with your clothes on too yeah in the car, Peggy asks Fred what he did before the war, and he tells her that he was a soda jerk, uh, an expert behind the fountain, which for anyone who doesn't know, a, sh a soda jerk is a, a job that doesn't exist anymore because there used to be like little mini restaurants inside of pharmacies, and they yeah. would have a person manning the, the little restaurant, and they're the, the soda jerk. They're mainly there to get people ice cream and uh, root beer floats and stuff. Yeah, until I saw it in the movie, I had no idea what he was referring to. Yep. A very uh, old-timey uh, job and, and term. Yeah. Uh, she asks what he plans to do now, and he tells her that he doesn't know, but he's definitely not going back to that uh, pharmacy or a drugstore, I think is how they refer to it. Mm -hmm. uh, back at Al's, uh, Millie, is his wife's name, uh, is bringing him breakfast in bed, and he tells her that he had the craziest dream last night. He dreamed that he was home. Is it really true? She assures him it is, and he asks where the children are. Uh, Millie says that Rob is at school and Peggy is at work, at which point Al starts smooching her and we tastefully fade to black. Mm -hmm. And we even get a... This is how deep the minutiae goes. When uh, Millie is preparing the breakfast on the tray, we see her in the kitchen, and she picks up a flower vase and puts it on the tray and then begins to walk towards the bedroom and thinks better of it and takes the flowers off and puts them on the counter. Yeah. Uh, back in the car, Fred is being dropped off, but before he gets out, he tells Peggy he remembers uh, the dream he had last night and how she helped him through it, because they haven't talked about it up to this point. They're just acting like it it didn't happen. Oh, I wonder if Al throwing his shoes out the window was maybe to make sure that he wasn't dreaming anymore. That he was actually awake and and he could throw the the shoes out of the window and hear them uh, the thud. Uh, the, him the hear the thud while they uh, when they came down the street. As good a guess as any. Yeah. Uh, he thanks Peggy for helping him through the the dream and says that they should put girls like her in mass production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the beginning of their uh, flirtatious relationship. Yeah. 
then he finally makes it to his wife's new apartment. Uh, we're an hour into the movie, by the way, at this point, and we still haven't seen his wife. And she's ecstatic to see him, uh, squealing with joy and gushing over how good he looks in his uniform and how many ribbons he has. She's a, you can tell from uh, the beginning, she's a kind of an airheaded blonde who's uh, materialistic, shall we say? Oh, yeah. Oh, look at your uniform and all your ribbons. Oh, yeah, she definitely feels like somebody who, you know, married a soldier for the, the prestige of it. Yeah, the term we had for this in the military was badge bunny. Badge bunny. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely she has that that phrase that a lot of people have that, that phrase in the movie when they come back uh, uh, when the three men come back and they're like, oh look how many ribbons you have. You have to explain to me what they mean. Yeah, I know it means something. Yes. Yep, she is definitely of the uh, oh I love a man in uniform mm-hmm. persuasion. Yep. Uh, you like the uniform and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, she has that, that thing uh, a little later when they're supposed to go out and he's in civilian clothes. Yep. And she's like, oh, couldn't you wear your uniform? Come you look on. so good in it. Yeah, you, this, yeah, she's clearly disappointed, but we'll get to that. I have it written down. How She gushes over how many ribbons he has. Uh, then they start to make out and we switch back to Al, uh, who's eating breakfast while his wife cleans the kitchen. He wonders how Fred is doing because it isn't easy for those Air Force glamour boys when they get grounded, he says. Mm. Millie says Fred will be fine, and Al asks uh, her to stop fussing and sit down and talk to him. Because she's just moving about uh, putting things away and cleaning up and stuff. Yeah. All right, Sarge, uh, she says. Boy, you got tough. (laughs) (laughs) I have met couples like this. In real life, they were incredibly authentic to me. Their interactions, this, yeah, the joking nature of, uh, oh, you got tough and uh, come here and sit down. And I have absolutely seen old couples that, that operate this way and yeah. where they'll like turn to you when you're a kid and be like, you see how mean they are to me in a, in a very joking way. Yeah. And you and I feel like that sometimes, I, I think. Yeah. When I, especially uh, when I, I'm fussing around the house and cleaning up and all that, and you're like, sit down, just take a breather, just, yeah. Yeah, and they talk about, like, uh, his pants don't fit anymore and yeah. just the minutiae of everyday life. They're just, they're just an old couple. They're, they're middle-aged, but they have, they're already in the, the old couple phase of their relationship. Yeah, I mean, they've been married 20 years. They've seen some stuff. Yeah, they're incredibly familiar with each other. I've heard I've just heard that exact kind of joke out of uh, out of women who were elderly to me, but I'm sure they were alive in the 40s. And that's mm-hmm. why they had this kind of thing. So it's very, very accurate to real life. They're immediately interrupted by the phone ringing, however, and it turns out to be Al's old boss at the bank uh, wanting him to come back in soon, which Al isn't thrilled about. And this is how familiar they are with each other. His wife comes over and is just leaning on his shoulder while he's on the phone, and she's just mouthing the same things he's mouthing as he gets to the call. Yes. Because she's so familiar with that, like how he uh, handles phone calls. Can't they give a guy a few days to get used to his family again, complains Al. Then we're back with Fred as he enters the drugstore he used to work at, which has been taken over by a larger uh, chain. And this was neat. 
seeing just a, a period appropriate uh, like regular small town store because they've got like all these banners mm-hmm. on the ceiling just pointing out where various things are and how much they cost it's like pancakes 12 cents you know baby powder a nickel yeah <laughs> I, i'm not familiar with that like a, it's definitely more that kind of drugstore in general is way more of an american thing like i don't i don't feel that this was a a thing in france you had general drugstores and stuff like that but they have a very different look yeah this is a, a small town mom and pop yeah. drugstore that sold to the big chain now but before that was owned by the pharmacist in the back yeah. which is yeah. usually how it went the the owner is the uh the pharmacist mm. and then they got the little uh mini kitchen area and all that yep the, this movie is it's such an authentic peek into everyday life in this time period, I really enjoyed that and it made it feel unique and probably what helped with the length and all the minutia, it was just, it was all so accurate. It was, yeah. it was, this movie is an amazing time capsule. Yeah. And the, the, the drugstore uh, to me didn't even feel like it was a set. Like it felt like an no. actual drugstore. Yeah, that's a drugstore. That is a, a period appropriate drugstore. Yeah. So it's been taken over by a larger chain, and then Fred goes into the back, or goes to the back, uh, the pharmacy counter, and greets the the old owner, and then goes to speak to the new owner about getting a job. Who, uh, the new owner is sitting into that area that a lot of stores have, where it's just like a a window in the second story overlooking the entirety of the the store floor, mm-hmm. so they can they can be the overlord and see everything. Yeah, the Panopticon. Uh, the owner asks if he has any experience, he, or if he got any experience in the military getting supplies. No, says Fred. I just dropped bombs. Did you lead any personnel? No, I dropped bombs. Did you handle any kind of logistics? No, I dropped bombs. Fred, he's certainly bombing this interview. <laughs> Fred doesn't get a job. <laughs> yeah. And there's a... They're they're kind of trying to frame this owner as a villain because he's a very like he has the kind of mustache that you would like twirl if mm. you were a villain and he's bald and uh, you can tell he's not he's a he's a slimy merchant type yeah right he's a he's a corporate guy yes he's a he's a slimy businessman and he doesn't appreciate that uh, Fred's a military hero and uh, he's like oh well you know uh, we're not uh, legally obligated to give you your old job back and yeah. You know, not not full villain, but uh, a, a quasi-despicable character. Yeah, because it also feels like the questions he's asking Fred, just if he had just asked, do you have any actual skills? Yeah. That's, that's where the, his questions were getting at. Like, yes, he's got actual skills. He's learned stuff that he needed to learn to work in the, uh, you know, in the Air Force and all that. But yeah. he doesn't have the kind of skills that you're looking at, you're looking for. Fred is also really doing himself no favors with all this just like, no, all I know, I just know how to blow stuff up. <laughs> yeah. Well, also before that, I think it's right at the beginning of the questions he, he says something, the salary is like thirty two fifty a week yeah. when Fred says that he was making $400 per month. Yeah. Before that, which also isn't accurate because I read that the salary at the time was about two hundred and ten dollars, but there was some extra pay that they could get. Yeah, he was an officer and also a, a bomber, so yeah. hazard pay. Yes. 
So Fred doesn't get the job, uh, and then we're back at the bank with Al in the office of uh, the head of the bank. Al tells him he's not in a hurry to get back to his old job, uh, and the boss says that he wasn't going to give him his old job. He was going to offer him a promotion to be in charge of approving loans uh, that are being given to veterans since he's a veteran himself. Yep. Starting salary is uh, $12,000 a year, think it over, uh, which uh, in modern amounts translates to $200,000 a year. Oh, wow. Yep. The the less work you do, the more you get paid. <laughs> because this job is literally just going over paperwork and saying yes or no. Yeah. 200000 a year. Back with Fred again. After that, uh, as he returns to his apartment. As he enters, his wife is shocked because it's the first time she's seen him in civilian clothes. This is what you're talking about. She's very clearly disappointed. Like, she's chest fallen. Yeah. Like, as soon as she sees him walk in the door, like, oh... You're not in your uniform anymore. Yeah, no shit. I'm I'm not a, a captain anymore. I'm a civilian. Yep. She tells him she just uh, called the nightclub where she used to work and told them that she's quitting. But she wants to go there tonight so she can uh, introduce him to the gang. And she wants him to wear his uniform when they go out. Yeah, to show him off. Yep. Fred protests but gives in after she begs and whines. But he does tell her that this will be the last time. And from now on, she'll have to get used to his civilian clothes. I just, yeah, I understand that she might also be proud of him. But that doesn't, it doesn't really show as that. Like, it's just, I want to show off my military husband. Yeah, he's a trophy husband. Yeah. I just, yeah, when I was thinking about it, it would it would never have come to me when you were in the Air Force. Like, it would never, I would never have thought uh, of asking you, like, hey, we're going out with friends. I'm going to introduce you to people. Can you wear your uniform? No. Yeah. But to be fair, though, they do wander around in their uniforms quite a bit. I'm pretty sure Al was in his uniform when they went on their drunken bar hopping. Yes. He was in his uniform when he came to this pharmacy for the job interview. They... They spend a lot of time just wandering around the town in their uniform, in like full dress uniform. Well, I feel like that's also part of the rehabilitation uh, part of yeah. uh, of their life. Is like they've spent so much time in those uniforms in the past what two, three, four years during the war. So it takes some time to you can. <laughs> I don't. I can't believe I'm going to say that. You can take the man out of the military service, but you can't yeah. take the military service out of a man. You so have to, it, you have to be a slow transition. I yeah. get it. And also, they you know they deserve some praise and attention after all the shit they've gone through. But yeah. also, uh, having worn a dress military uniform myself, I know how uncomfortable they are. So <laughs> yes, it's not uh, as much of a reward as you would think. And that shit is fucking heavy. Like I remember you. I remember your uniforms, and there was like one night when you were working, and it was pouring rain when you came back when you came back from your shift like that shit was super heavy because it was already heavy by itself but with the rain on top of it that was just crazy the the day-to-day uniforms and the dress uniforms are made of different material but the problem with both of them is that they have like three layers to them yeah yeah and the dress uniforms are just uh, really difficult to move in like a lot of fancy clothes are you can't really bend or or run or anything like that yeah there's no ls10 in the in those clothes yep Uh, so he gives in when she begs and whines but tells her that this is the last time 
he also says that he has a thousand dollars in the bank so they can uh, finally have a real honeymoon uh, marie is delighted from there we finally move back to homer's house where his father is mowing the yard wilma approaches and asks where homer is and is told he's in the shed practicing shooting so he can go hunting he confides to wilma that he and his wife have tr tried to make homer feel at home but homer just wants to be by himself all the time Wilma then walks to the shed, passing by Homer's sister and a couple of her friends as they loiter around the shed. They're in, they're like between seven and ten. They're yeah. younger kids. Uh, Wilma enters the shed and watches Homer takes the shot as Homer takes the shot. It's just like a, a rifle he's got. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, he takes the target down and he, he says he did okay, but he'll keep at it and do better. Wilma says she wants to talk about us. Mm -hmm. When he was away, he wrote to her and said that when he returned, they would get married. If he said it once, he said it a hundred times. Things are different now, replies Homer. Have you changed your mind? She asks. Have I said anything about changing my mind? No, she says, but that's just it. You haven't said anything about anything. She doesn't know what to think, but she knows that she was in love with him when he left, and she's in love with him now. Other things may have changed, but that hasn't. Before Homer can reply, he sees his sister and her friends peeking in the window because they've sat down right next to the window, and he just looks over and sees them all yeah. uh, peeking inside. Uh, and he jumps up and scrambles to the door, uh, yelling, All right, you want to see how the hooks work? You want to see the freak? I'll show you. Uh, he struggles with the door and can't get it open because of his hooks. So he shoves both his hooks through the glass of the window and shouts, Have a good look. His sister tearfully apologizes as her friends run away, and Homer says he's sorry too, and tells her to go and play with her friends. This was, this was a really good scene. The reaction of the little sister, yeah, the, the little kid who plays the little sister was like really good in that scene. Like oh, she yeah. looked really genu uh, genuinely upset. Yes, it was the a combination of both heartbreak and terror that yeah. like immediately just uh, put out the flames of Homer's anger where uh, he's really worked up when he's scrambling to try and open the door. But then, I mean, so worked up, he fucking shoves his hand through a window yeah. and yells at some kids. And then, but as soon as he sees how it's affected his sister, you can just see like all the anger just go out of him and he's just ashamed of himself. Yeah very just very realistic in like the kids peeking in and that finally being enough to be the last straw to to make all the things homer's been feeling since he got home boil up and explode and then him overreacting and immediately being ashamed of how he overreacted yeah, yeah just the scene between uh him and wilma to me was a little like dragged for a little bit too long and also just not communication isn't great like the way they're asking each other questions or the way they're uh, they're responding to each other's questions is just not great like just go straight to the point like are we gonna get married or not or do you love me what's going on well i think it you're right but also i think it, it's authentic for given you know that he's a man he's a young man in a time period where men aren't supposed to talk about their emotions and also he's a small town boy where you know he he played football and went hunting and, and did all these manly things and yeah he's not used to talking about his emotions so yeah i get it all, that 
it came off as very just very genuine like all the the character interactions in this movie do like she even uh he's cleaning the gun while they're talking and uh she's like oh it's not loaded is it and uh he goes of course it's not loaded you think i don't know how to clean a gun like he's he brings he gets offended because as if she's you know he can't take care of it because he has he doesn't have hands and yeah i think what what was going on here is that maybe he thought that she was afraid that he would fire it an accident well he's cleaning he's like looking down the barrel yeah. so she's like you're not going to shoot your eye out are you <laughs> but he takes it you know he projects the insecurity about his hooks onto that yeah. statement like boy oh you think because i have i don't have hands i can't clean a gun and just you know took it in the wrong wrong direction in a very believable way yeah. after he apologizes to his, his sister he turns back inside and tells wilma that he shouldn't have acted like that it's not his sister's fault his hands got burned off He'll be all right. He just has to work it out himself. Uh, Wilma says she could help him through it if he'd let her, but he repeats that he has to do it himself. I gotta do it myself. He says that it's yep. like it's like his little man- uh, mantra throughout the film. I gotta I do, do it, it myself. myself. Doesn't want to ask for help. All he wants is for people to treat him like anybody else. Wilma leaves, and then we see Homer later in the day getting ready for bed. After washing his face and visiting his sleeping sister. He knocks on his parents' bedroom door, and his father says he'll be right with him. His dad comes out and follows him to his room, where he helps him remove his hooks and button up his nightshirt. He has to, he has to ask for help every time he goes to sleep now to yeah. just get his uh, pajama top on because he can't button it. I thought that was a, a neat scene, like showing... We see him being so skillful with his hooks yep. that it doesn't, it didn't even cross my mind how much or help he would need to either put them on or take them off because when he has the hooks on he can do pretty much everything and anything that anybody else does he's become so skillful at using them by at that point that it's like to me it wasn't shocking that he didn't have hands because he was able to to do stuff but when you see the like you were talking about minutia that's when you see what has to happen in order for him to be able to do things, yeah, that that was it was really neat to have that pause and see somebody else else help him. Yep, how reliant he is on other yeah. people once he takes his hands off. Yeah, can't, can't even button a shirt, and yeah, his, he has to ask for help every single night now from his yeah. dad. There's no question when he knocks on his parents' door, like his dad's just like, oh, he knows exactly what's happening. He says, I'll just, I'll be with you in a second. And then yeah. there's no words exchanged between them the entire time. He just falls into the bedroom and knows exactly what he needs to do. It's their routine now. Yeah. In Fred's apartment, Marie lays on the couch applying mascara. She's also in like a, a satin dress. Uh, and Fred comes home carrying a box. And when Marie asks him what's in it, he tells her it's dinner. Cream of corn soup, uh, potato salad, salami, and liverwurst. Yuck. Yeah, until the liverwurst, I, I was all there for dinner, but ugh. Marie is not happy about this because she wanted to go out to Jackie's Hotspot. <laughs> uh, Fred tells her they're broke and can't afford it. Pick up from them talking that some time has passed. Right. And they... Uh, have burned through fred's savings uh he wasn't being careful with money because he thought he'd have a job by now but he finally has to face reality and accept the fact that he might not get one Uh, or that he might not get one that will pay him well enough yeah support their current lifestyle yeah 
He's been all over town, but every place he goes tells him he has no experience and that he should go to a, tr uh, a trade school for a few years. And what would I be doing while you're in kindergarten, asked Marie. Bitch. <laughs> yeah, bitch. Uh, you could always help me with my homework, replies Fred. Yeah, or also you could also get a job. Like, he probably just didn't want her to have a job because she was working in a nightclub, but she could she could get something and work during the day. Well, attitudes of the times also. Uh, the man is supposed to be the breadwinner. Like, if uh, a woman has a job, it, it's a, a bad reflection on the man because it means he can't make enough to support his own family. Yeah, well, attitudes of the day just are looking at it all wrong. Oh, yeah, I know, but... <laughs> That, that is what they're thinking. It's, it's poor thinking, but it's what they're thinking. Like, if you're struggling with money, the, having two incomes or even just one and she can she can go get a job, that would help. Yep. I mean, she probably just wanted the job so she could be around other people that she could brag about her uh, hero husband to while he was away. Yeah, she was probably making good money also working in a nightclub. Yep. So he says uh, that she could help him with his homework, and Marie scowls and asks if he's all right mentally. He keeps shouting his, in his sleep. Can't he just get it out of his system? Maybe that's what holding it, what's holding him back. Yeah. yeah the, this, I, this stupid, uh, uh, you're not in the war anymore. Just get over it. Yeah, snap out of it. Yeah, thanks, Marie. Never, th oh, maybe I should just not think about it. Wow, never crossed my mind. Yeah, I, that's, you know, a phrase that I, I hate, like the snap out of it. Like if you could snap out of it, people would do it. It's just... It's not that easy. There was one thing here that's not really addressed in the movie that I found out while looking for the fun facts is that the GI Bill benefits were invented uh, and passed into law on June 22nd, 1947, I believe. I have it uh, somewhere in... Uh, in my notes, when Al, 1945, I can, I can believe. When Al is offered the job at the bank, the boss of the bank uh, mentions the GI Bill. Yes. Yes, I have the exact... 19, uh, June 22nd, 1944. Yep. So he could have benefited, he could have had access to education benefits, and but he, the only thing that he's... Uh, that we see him get is the unemployment insurance. Yep. So he could have... He could have uh, had money and like housing allowance and all that stuff from the the GI Bill to uh, go to school and get training. Yeah, God knows what the the housing allowances were like back then. I don't know yeah. if it operates the exact same way it does that now, because I know that they did change how it worked after nine eleven. Right. So, but you're right. He there, he had plenty of options, and yeah, this whole struggling for money thing does come off as a little disingenuous because. There's tons of options. There's tons well, of ways. And there is definitely pride on his side too, because he's a, when he mentions how much he was making when he was in the, when he was working during the war, like, oh, I'm not gonna settle down for a job that's gonna pay me less than what I was making during the war. Like, I understand that there's a certain prestige and that there's a certain level of comfort that you're getting with money, but also if you're if you know that you need money, then I, take a job and then maybe get some skills and look for a different a better job while you're also working and, and making money yeah he also knows uh he's friends with a man who's in a, a high position in a bank i'm sure al could get him a job if he yeah. asked he just never asks yeah now come on snap out of it she says 
uh, Fred does not snap out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Shocker. Fred says he'll try, and Marie tells him she has some of her own money saved, so dinner is on her tonight. Fred still thinks they should eat at home, but Marie angrily says she's going uh, with or without him, and Fred grabs her arm as she tries to leave the tries to storm out of the kitchen. She's going to eat what he cooks and like it, he says. In their vows, they said something about for better or for worse. Well, this is the worst, says Fred. Yeah. And uh, she says, well, when does it get better? And then, uh, uh, now go read a magazine or something, says Fred. And Marie storms into the living room and uh, slaps a magazine off a chair and sits down in a huff. I laugh because it's a very petulant, childish, like, smack, and just throws a magazine onto the floor because she's mad. It's also a very stereotypical argument. Like, we said, you know, for better or for worse in our vows. That's the thing that always comes up. It's like, it's... It's true, but it's also such a stereotypical line. Yeah, lawyering over vows is a very cliche thing to do. Yeah. We made a promise. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have a short scene of Fred being trained as a perfume salesman in in the same drugstore he was a soda jerk in. So he has finally swallowed his pride and gone back to the place he he said he would never go back to. Yeah. Uh, And then we go back to Al at his new job in the bank. He's meeting with a client who's trying to get a loan to buy a farm, uh, and Al gives it to him despite the fact that the man has no collateral. This is a... I had to abridge a lot of scenes in the Mm -hmm. synopsis, because if I captured every line of dialogue and every nuance, this synopsis would be 20 pages long, probably. This movie is so dense. It's very dialogue-heavy. Incredibly dialogue-heavy, because... He has an interaction with this uh, client where this client is a very, like, small-town, aw shucks kind of farmer. Like, oh, oh, I'm just trying to get some land to uh, to grow some food because it's what I did uh, growing up. And uh, it seems to me like growing food is the, one of the most important jobs. And, yeah. oh, gosh, I don't even know what collateral is, but I'll, I'll do a good job and put yeah. my whole heart into it. And, and I'm a good farmer, I swear. Yeah. You know, he he's the naive uh, hero with the heart of gold, and yeah. uh, Al understands it. So he gives him the loan, despite the fact that the man doesn't even know what collateral means. Yeah, well, at first I didn't think that Al was going to do it, and then that man mentions that he's a veteran as well. Well, I think and all his clients are veterans now, because he's specifically in charge of veteran loans. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, he then spots Homer picking up his disability money at the bank. Glad you don't have to do that anymore. I just get a check. Automatic deposits. Uh, and has a quick chat where Homer tells him uh, he's taking piano lessons now. And uh, Al clearly thinks he's joking because he doesn't know what to say for a second. He's oh, well, uh, good for you. <laughs> uh, back at Fred's job, he's doing his best to answer the questions of a customer while her unruly child knocks things off the shelves and throws a toy airplane that flies around the store, causing a small scene. He's like, he's playing with a train and just turns it on and it it moves down the shelf, knocking all the things off the shelf. Yeah. He's being a, being a little shit kid and and the mom just doesn't care. She's uh, focused on her perfume. The plane is caught by Peggy and uh, Fred pretends to give her a sales pitch on various things because it's against the rules to chat with customers unless you're making a sale. He does this little skit where he's like, oh, and this is our best cream, but uh, you don't need any of that because you already, you already look pretty enough. And uh, you can buy this at uh, twice the price it should be sold for and yeah. half the effectiveness. So he's, you know, he's um, 
giving her a peek behind the scenes about how all the products are a, a, a grift. I enjoy that uh, their dialogue here. They, I thought it was very clever. They're they're good. They're really good at banter. Yeah. Uh, she tells him she just came by to say hello, and he tells her his lunch break is coming up. If she'd like to eat together, she would. Fast forward to them eating at a nearby Italian place and Fred confiding in Peggy about being overseas and dreaming of owning a small house in the suburbs with his wife someday. Peggy thinks it's a great dream. Mm -hmm. After lunch, the two are saying goodbye in the parking lot when Fred suddenly goes in for a kiss and the two uh, make out as much as 1940s standards will allow. Once they break apart, Fred says that that shouldn't have happened. But he supposes that it had to. Yeah. If I remember well from classes I took in undergrad about the film production code, I believe the first code um, mentioned that you couldn't have an on-screen kiss for more than six seconds. And then it got increased to 13 seconds. (laughs) And I don't remember uh, the exact dates and all that, but I think... I have it in my memory six and thirteen seconds. I think this one would be under six. Yeah. And there, the scene starts with they just walking up to Peggy's car, and then they just kind of look at each other's eyes. They don't say anything, and then they just start kissing. Yeah. So no dialogue. Peggy gets in her car, and the two say goodbye without another word. From there, we go back to Al, who's in uh, his boss's office, explaining why he gave a loan to someone with no collateral. Al's defense is that he became a good judge of character while in the military and can tell who's trustworthy and who's not. Uh, and the boss says it's not a big deal. Just be more cautious in the future. There's mm. some other like middle manager there who's the one who reported Al. Yep. And so Al has to explain why he's gambling with the depositor's money. Back to Fred again as he returns home and Marie tells him to put on his best suit on because they've been invited out on a double date by a Miss Peggy Stevenson. Fred tells her to call back and cancel, uh, which Marie makes Marie suspicious, and she starts grilling him about who Peggy is and how they know each other. He tells her she's Al's daughter, and they only met the one time uh, he slept at Al's. He just doesn't like accepting handouts. Well, you better get used to it, says Marie, because it's the only way we can afford to have any fun on your thirty-two fifty a week. Yeah, I hated that. I hate how she's like throwing that at him oh yeah she's constantly rubbing it in his face that he's not making enough money and uh he's a loser and uh, how disappointed she is in in him and yeah and she gave up uh, her job for him because he didn't want her to work and jesus christ like he's working at a job that he doesn't even like just to be able to support you like shut the fuck up yeah it's not the it's not the the fun marriage to a, a war hero that she thought it would be, where she yeah. can just they can go out every night and uh, be glamorous and live it up. Then we move to Al's house, where his wife is telling him to be still so she can put his bow tie on. She tells him he'll probably have to make a speech tonight, and he responds that he plans to meet that situation by getting well plastered. Mm. Yeah, Al is an alcoholic, and it's <laughs> it's not like the thrust of his character. This the film. It's not unaware of it. It's just not one of the problems they're going to deal with in the plot. So yeah, which you know, I was planning on on talking about that uh, after we're done with the synopsis. Yeah, his it's... alcoholism is just kind of a, a background element to yeah. the movie. Uh, she tells him about Peggy's double date and also that she suspects that Peggy has feelings for Fred. Do you have any evidence of this extraordinary claim? Mm. Says Al. Just a hunch, his wife replies. Peggy then passes by their room, and Al goes out and makes some small talk before pointedly mentioning Fred's wife. Uh, 
Peggy says she knows what uh, they're thinking, and they're right. She does love Fred. She just thought that if she saw him with his wife, it would knock some sense into her. Have a, f- a healthy effect on her, is how she words it. Yes. Al says she's got a good head on her shoulders and knows how to take care of herself. And he and Millie leave for their engagement as Peggy's date arrives. They don't, I, I don't know that they ever say what they're going to, but it's a, it's a official work. Yeah. Like banquet. Maybe in Al's honor or something, since he's just come back. I'm not sure. It's some sort of uh, official function they're going to. Yeah, it uh, it feels like a fundraiser or like uh, you know some place where some sort of official dinner with at the bank where it they mention the uh, the investors. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it feels like yeah, it's some sort of fundraiser or a dinner for people who invest in the bank. He, he's sitting right next to the boss of the bank, so it's not a a, a fun social occasion. Yes. I was also, this scene surprised me at just how open and honest they are with each other in the family. Because mm-hmm. you would expect you know them to ask, you know, in the 40s especially, the parents to ask a child about their private romantic life and the child to obfuscate and uh, make up stories and whatnot. But she, Peggy's just 100% honest about how she feels and yeah. what she's doing. and. Well, there's a, a scene later on in the movie between Al and Fred when... Al says, you know, that's, he essentially says that, like, in my family, we tell each other everything. Yeah, it's it's sort of corny and mid-Victorian, he says, but yes. we actually talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. And then Peggy's date arrives as her parents leave, and her date is, like, trying to get handsy and, like, smooch on her, and she's like, oh, don't be a bore, because she's not actually interested in him. She's just going on the date to see Fred. Yeah. Uh, then we're at Al's banquet, where his wife is making marks in the table with her fork to keep track of how many drinks Al has had. <laughs> Good lord. It, you just get a, a close-up of the tablecloth, and she just, like, makes a mark. Right. Yep, yep, there goes another one. And then <laughs> she's doing the thing where you do four, and then the fifth mark is the cross across yeah. them. <laughs> just not saying anything, just quietly just making marks in the table with her fork. It's keeping counts. Yep, she's keeping score. Uh, he's asked to give a speech, just like she predicted, and uh, stands up and delivers a truly terrible, rambling nightmare of a speech that includes him mistakenly claiming that America lost the war and that they'll be handing out so many loans that people will think the bank is gambling with the depositors' money. And we will be, he says. Yeah, this this speech was awful. This was one of the, the genuinely awkward moments of the yes. movie. This was the worst. I hated... There's few things worse in actual life than having to listen to an uh, someone give a speech who's really bad at it. Yeah. Which is something I have to do a lot in college. I had I had secondhand embarrassment yes. for Millie because she's looking at him and she's she has this look of admiration on her face for him. Well, I understand the look of admiration because it feels she's looking at him. I'm making a, a speech uh, about what the bank should be doing. Yeah. But also, you, you you and I had that same reaction while watching the movie where as soon as he finished his speech, we're like, well, I think Al's getting fired tomorrow. Yeah, it... 
he multiple times he goes, oh, I have all these uh, jokes I could say, but it's not the appropriate uh, audience for them. And he, he'll just kind of trail off. He does yeah. that multiple times. Yeah. Or like, I've got I know many good jokes, but none of them that are suitable for. So uh, it's just it's rambling and incoherent. And yeah, he the story of none of his anecdotes land and he mistakenly thinks that america lost the war and then says that they'll be gambling with the the depositors money it's just like everything he tries to do just lands with a thud and it's just ugh. well also i think you know yes he probably makes that mistake of saying america lost the war but when you think about it he sees people who are coming to the bank for a loan for for uh, to build for the future and the bank's reaction most of the time is going to be to deny those uh those requests for loans and and that way i think in his mind that's the way that america lost the war is that they sent so many people to the war uh, to win against uh, the nazis and then people who come back should be held as heroes but they are just they're not being treated like people they're just being discarded by society so in a way america lost the war yeah like like all the truly top tier bad speeches he has ideas he's trying to convey he's just not expressing them he's very just well. so bad at articulating them that it's just a mess yeah and finally his wife gets up and kisses him before he can embarrass himself further uh, and the cl- crowd applauds, not knowing what else to do. Yeah, they d- it's not you did a good job applause. It's relief at, oh, thank God, this, we it's over. Yeah. This situation is over. We can move on to something else. Yeah. Applause. Uh, from there, we go to the double date, which is happening in a club so crowded that there's no actual room to dance. No, that dance floor looked miserable. Yeah, it was kind of thing that's a legitimate safety hazard. Because if there was like a fire or something, there's no room to to get out it was just yeah people just crammed like in a sardine can like just yeah. shoulder to shoulder they couldn't even dance you can all they could do was just like m- kind of like sway back and forth because there was no room to do anything yeah they ev- they even acknowledge it in the movie because uh, we get a close-up of peggy and her date dancing and another uh the couple right next to them they're so smushed in that the the woman's elbow is like in uh, peggy's date's face and he like mock goes to bite it and then the other woman just moves and legitimately hits him in the face with her elbow <laughs> yeah peggy and her date managed to push their way out of the crush though and back to their table peggy's date asks why she doesn't fall for his charms and uh, tells him that she shouldn't be afraid of marriage uh, just because fred's marriage is bad what's wrong with his marriage she asks Nothing, he replies, aside from one little detail. They just don't like each other. Mm. Before she can respond, Fred and his wife join them, and Marie borrows Peggy's date so she can go back uh, on the dance floor, leaving Fred and Peggy alone. Fred asks why Peggy did this, and she tells him it's to prove to herself that their kiss didn't happen. It did happen, though, says Fred, and if we keep seeing each other, it'll happen again. And then we get a close-up of, of Peggy looking distressed after he says that, and then we yeah. move to the next scene. Sometime later, Peggy and Marie are in the powder room together, and Marie tells Peggy that her date is cute, and more importantly, rich, so she should definitely marry him. Uh, she doesn't want to get stuck with a loser like Fred, who only makes thirty-two fifty a week. She's really stuck on this thirty-two fifty a week thing. Yeah. 
also like the it just gets worse and worse because when she was just throwing it at him the 3250 a week that's one thing but just bad mouthing your spouse to somebody else that just someone you've just met someone you've just met even if it was like a close friend or anything you just don't bad mouth your spouse to other people airing the dirty laundry in in public and if you have complaints if you have to think if you have things that you need to figure out and work out with your spouse you do it with your spouse not with other people yeah because if you're at the point where you're telling other people that means you've given up on actually fixing the problem and you're just gonna complain about it from now on yeah because it's just completely shattering any illusion that this is a good marriage it just it just it can only go uh, down from there yeah Peggy tries to defend Fred, but Marie insists that he sucks big time, uh, but Peggy will be fine. She could use a little more makeup and a better hairdo if she really wants to uh, land that rich guy, though. And she offers to give her some tips. Yeah, and give her the the address for her hairdresser. For her hairdresser. And... She also makes comments about how money is a vitally important part of any romance. She said, to marry rich is the most important, and then the romance will take care of itself, is yeah. what she says has a very uh, ugly and materialistic view of relationships. Uh, Later still, a photographer has come to their table, and Marie thinks it would be cute if they took a picture with each other's dates. So Fred awkwardly puts his arm around Peggy, and the shot is taken. She has this whole thing about... uh, She thinks it would be cute to take the picture as if they were caught in mid-conversation, so she she directs everybody... Uh, you know, oh, talking, talking. And then she has this big fake smile on her face and she goes, okay, take the picture. Yeah. <laughs> it's just very, it's so fake. She's so fake. It's fake, but also the picture ends up with uh, Marie and uh, Peggy's date looking at the photographer and Peggy and Fred just looking at mm, each other. Looking at each other. Yeah. You know, they accidentally get a romantic photograph. Back in Al's apartment, Al's in a bathrobe drinking Alka-Seltzer as he gets ready for bed. <laughs> the realistic everyday minutia of life in the 40s. What is Alka-Seltzer? It is a fizzy drink that you uh, drink before bed, I guess, to help with like indigestion and to settle your stomach, I'm assuming. Because it's in modern form, it's like little tablets you drop into uh, water and water. it fizzes yeah. up and bubbles a lot. That's what I thought. I was. I just wasn't sure. But he's using a powder to make it. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, authentic 1940s uh, <laughs> bedtime routine. Got to drink my Alka-Seltzer. It, it's super carbonated, so he, he even burps when he comes out of the, the bathroom. That might yeah. be the first time we've seen anyone burp in one of these movies. I think so. Yeah. Uh, breaking new ground. Peggy comes in and sits on the bed, and her mother asks how everything went tonight. Peggy tells them it was a pretty disagreeable experience, but it helped her make up her mind. To do what? asks her mother. Peggy stands up, paces over a bit, so she has her back turned to her parents, and then she turns around and declares, I'm going to break up that marriage. (laughs) That was not what I expected. (laughs) No, that was a surprising declaration for a, a movie in the 40s. She can't stand seeing Fred married to a woman who doesn't love him. Uh, Al is not happy about this plan and asks Peggy if she's God. Who gave uh, you the right to meddle in people's lives? He got surprisingly upset about this. Like, he was aggressively, like, getting on to her about this. About, you don't know what you're doing, and, oh, how are you going to do it? With an axe? And, you know, what's your plan? And who gave you the right? Like, I didn't understand. He He got very aggressive, yeah. Yeah, he... 
I was being an, a dick in this scene in a way that he wasn't in any other scene in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not like him in this scene. Uh, her mother asks how she knows Fred loves her, and Peggy tells them about their lunch and how uh, he kissed her. Uh, she assures them it, it was very respectable until that point. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing untoward. Al says a kiss from a smooth operator like Fred means nothing, and uh, Peggy says uh, he doesn't understand. Uh, things were so easy for him and her mother. They don't know what it's like to be in a situation like this. Al and his wife exchange a knowing look uh, and tell Peggy that they've hate- hated each other and been sick of each other many times and had to fall in love all over again throughout their marriage. And Peggy collapses on the bed weeping after she hears this. It was a... I get what they're going for here, but also the, like, it's normal for couples to hate each other sometimes. Oh, I didn't take it that way. I uh, really just took it as them trying to explain to her that she doesn't have the full picture. She doesn't, obviously, she, uh, she's never been in a in a serious relationship, probably, and they're trying to really demonstrate to her that a, she doesn't have the full picture of what their marriage is, and B, that she doesn't have a full understanding of what it means to be in a serious relationship because you, it can seem like it's perfect from the outside, but when you're an insider in the relationship, there, there are definitely struggles. Just because it looks good doesn't mean that it's perfect. Oh, yeah, I, I understand that that's what they're going for, but they just the examples they gave, it felt like they weren't exaggerating. They're saying we have legitimately told each other that we hated each other multiple yeah. times and uh, al says like uh how many times have i told you that we're all washed up and i'm through with you like <laughs> yeah we were listening to a, a a different podcast the other day with a married couple and uh, i feel is a very similar stage, situation with al and his wife here where uh, the people on the podcast were uh talking about the struggles they have and how, oh, it's, this is just normal stuff that every couple goes through. And I don't know that it is. I think you might just be normalizing the amount of friction that's in your relationship. Yeah, well, definitely. The the couple on the podcast definitely had uh, more strong words between themselves. And we've, we've listened to that podcast a couple of times. And every time it's the couple on it, uh, they're always talking about their latest big big fight. Big fight. Yeah, <laughs> and nor yeah, you're they're definitely normalizing. Oh, it's normal to have uh, big arguments and then ju- and to make up after that. And both you and I's re- uh, reaction was like, well, if you actually found a, a way to communicate well together, a you wouldn't need to have the fight. B you wouldn't need to have to repair your relationship. Yeah, this is another. I think old timey worldview, like, oh, well, you're supposed to just yell and scream and hate your spouse sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, as long as you eventually make up, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Maybe it does matter. In which, audience, I know what you're thinking right now is like, we probably don't sound realistic to you, but in the five years that you and I have been together, we've never had an argument you know how you never have a fight you don't fight (laughs) you find a way to did you know that if you never raise your voice then you know you don't have to shout at people (laughs) (laughs) yeah just don't do it and it doesn't happen yeah we've just found a way to communicate uh and not have to have arguments yeah really not that hard 
so Peggy collapses on the bed weeping, uh, and Al wanders to the living room to have a smoke uh, while Millie comforts Peggy. And Peggy even apologizes. I'm so sorry, Mom. And I don't... Yeah, I guess she was weeping because she realized at that point that just because Fred is having difficulty in his marriage, it doesn't mean... That he's going to come over to her? Yeah, that she's going to be the alternative or even that she should break it up. And it's just, yeah. Her plan was foolish to a certain degree. Yeah. Fade to Butch's bar where we see Fred approaching Al who's sitting alone in a booth. He takes a seat and Al confronts him about his intentions with Peggy. This is the scene you're talking about where Al says that they, you know, actually talk to each other. Yeah. He tells Fred he doesn't dislike him, but he also doesn't want anyone uh, taking his daughter's love on a bootleg basis. And he'll do everything in his power to keep her from seeing him again. Fred tells him there's no need. He'll call her now and uh, tell her that they can't meet anymore. While Fred goes to make the call, Al is called over to the piano by Homer, who plays a duet with his uncle. And it's the shot is framed in a way where you can see Al leaning up against the piano. You mm-hmm. can see Homer playing the uh, his part on the piano. And you can also see Fred making a call yep. like in the... Uh, the, in the phone booth. In the yeah, front part of the bar in the, in the booth. So you can see all three of them. Yeah. There's a, a, a well-framed shot. And also the conversation between Al and Fred, just like every other interaction in this movie, very authentic. And he just, yeah, very straightforwardly asks Fred what his intentions are. And they have this back and forth where you know, it's uncomfortable and awkward, just like a conversation like that would be in real life where Fred's like, oh, or are you mad? Are you going to beat me up? Uh, like, should we go settle this in the alley? Not because he wants to, but he's just trying to gauge how uh, mad Al at, is yeah. at him. And Al says, you know, uh, I wouldn't want it to come to that. And also if we uh, settle things that way, I might forget myself and break your neck. And I like you and I wouldn't want that to happen. I like also that there is a little bit of a reverse, a role reversal between them because when they first come back to town and they're in a taxi, uh, when um, Al is getting dropped off at his apartment, he's trying to get some money out to pay the taxi, and then Fred says, "Well, I, I outrank you. Keep me, keep your money. Your money is no good here. I, yeah, keep I your, outrank you. Keep your money, Sergeant." And then uh, uh, and Al gives him a fake salute. Yes, and, yeah. and it feels you definitely feel the ranks and that Fred is you know higher up on the military chain than all but then here you see them in a different you see them in their civilian life where Al is the one who has a family and he has people that he's responsible for and he definitely ha- you see the the age difference between them more than you see it at the beginning of the movie you see the Al as the family man and then Fred as he's married but he doesn't have kids. He doesn't have really anybody apart from Marie. He doesn't have anybody else that he is responsible for and has to think about. Yep. They were uh, different ranks and they're also very different places in their lives. Yeah. This, yeah, this is a father talking to the man. Like, what are you doing with my daughter? It's a yeah. Yeah, very different dynamic than when they first met. Yeah. Homer playing the, the duet with his uncle and, because Al thought he was just joking about taking piano lessons, yeah. but here we see he was he was telling the truth, and he was actually learning how to play a duet with his uncle. And uh, Homer spots Fred making the call. Uh, once he finishes the song, he's like, hey, Fred, Fred, come listen to my song. But Fred just walks out without responding. Yeah. Uh, that makes Homer uh, wise to the fact that something happened. From there, we go back to the Stevenson apartment and see Peggy entering the kitchen in a daze. Uh, she sits down to the table and... 
she sits down at the table and begins to shell some peas that were sitting in a bowl at the table and tells her mother that she just got a call from Fred saying that they can't see each other anymore. Uh, that's the end of my career as a homewrecker, she says. <laughs> and she wanders in. She's, uh, you can see like all the wind has been taken out of her sails. Yeah. She just sh- slowly shuffles in and then sits down and just like, she's on autopilot and she just takes the peas and starts shelling them, which I had to do that a lot when I was a kid. Oh so, yeah, me too. Shelling of peas. And then yeah, says it's the end of her uh, career as a homewrecker. She's been a fool, but sees things clearer now. She's glad she's out of that mess. Uh, and then she runs out of the kitchen in tears. Yeah, you're fooling absolutely nobody. <laughs> yep. She's, yeah, she also, because uh, Millie's in there as well, her mom. And she's like, uh, oh, I'm sure you're feeling a lot of sympathy for me, but you, you don't need to because uh, uh, my... I'm glad this is over. Yeah, I'm glad it's over. My uh, my vision is clear now. And then yeah, she runs out in tears. Uh, next, we said see Fred at work, uh, manning the soda fountain like old times. Uh, Homer shows up and asks for a Sunday, and uh, also did something happen between him and Al at Butch's? Fred assures him everything is fine, uh, and then a stranger sitting at the counter asks Homer about his hooks. Uh, he asks him if he can ask him a personal question, and Homer says, I know what you're going to ask, because anytime someone uh, says they want to ask me a personal question, it's always about the hooks. Yeah. But he then shows them off and claims they operate by radar uh, and the stranger tells him it's a shame that young men like him had to be sacrificed because of radicals in washington pushing america into the war yeah he gives the guy a demonstration of like how they can open and close and how he can eat his sunday with them and yeah this is him being very uh, jovial and joking about yeah. it when we were talking about uh, Homer is confused, and the man tells him to read the papers. He's got a newspaper with him, and he just like pokes on the camera, like "just read the facts." He mm-hmm. says, "Yeah, we see the the headline on the newspaper that he has that uh, uh, claims that uh, they're heading for another war soon." Yeah, I'm sure that was the the scare at the time. Uh, we fought the wrong people, he says. Uh, the Japs and the Nazis didn't have a problem with us. They were just trying to fight the, the Limeys and the Reds. And, mm. uh, uh, yeah, we were pushed into it by radicals in Washington. Uh, Fred overhears, is offended, and points out the register, telling the man uh, that he needs to pay and leave. And Homer's also getting agitated by this yeah. guy's line of conversation. Uh, the man does get up, uh, but Homer gets up as well and follows him. Uh, we're all suckers, huh? He says, getting in the man's face. I saw my ship go down, and uh, uh, 400 of my shipmates go with it. Were they all suckers? And he's, like, uh, poking the guy's chest with his hooks at this point. Yeah. It's the unpleasant truth, says the man. And uh, Homer pulls off his American flag pin that was uh, pinned to his lapel. This is clearly some sort of issue of the day where mm-hmm. this is, like, a common... Uh, line that people throw out that were against the war this like radicals in washington stuff yeah. uh, and the guy claims that he's just a proponent of uh, strong americanism is what he says so it it's some sort of political movement at the time yeah some sort of group and then uh homer uh just he grabs the the pin with his his hook and just like pops it off because uh not the america he knows well, I mean, a lot of people at the time were against going into World War oh, yeah. II. Like America has to be dragged, kicking and screaming into yeah. into the European foreign wars, and then we figured out we could make money at it, and <laughs> we drag everyone else kicking and screaming into wars now. So he pulls the pin off and he raises a hook like he's going to hit the guy, but Fred jumps over the counter before uh, Homer can land a blow, and he punches the man instead. Yeah, 
because Homer and the guy were like starting to wrestle with each other and uh, Fred gets in the middle of it and just goes, get your hands off him and, and punches him. Sending the man flying backwards into a glass display case and shattering it. It's like, Jesus Christ. This is uh, by far the most violent thing that happens in this movie. Yeah. This guy just, yeah. If it was a real life, there'd be just blood all over the place. He just lands f- his full weight onto a, a glass uh, case and just the whole thing shatters. Yeah. A crowd gathers and the manager comes over and uh, Fred quits before he can be fired. Uh, in the commotion, Homer picks up the flag pin he ripped off and he puts it on his own lapel as uh, triumphant music uh, flares in the background. We get just this close-up shot of like, him. I'm the American hero. Yes, I am the hero, goddammit, as he puts the, <laughs> the flag on his own pin, his shirt and the, uh, the, the this is the hero music plays. Then we see Fred and Homer walking down the sidewalk together. Homer tries to apologize, but, but Fred says it's not his fault and that uh, he would stand up for him anytime, anywhere. And then he asks Homer how things are going with Wilma. Homer confides in him that he doesn't know if Wilma could handle being married to a cripple. And Fred advises him to go find her, kiss her, and ask him to marry her. Uh, marry him, right now. Fade to Homer approaching Wilma's house after sunset. The light is on in her kitchen, and he sees her through the window and goes... But goes home without talking to her. He, he's on the approach, but then he gets cold feet and just yeah. goes home. Upstairs in his room, he looks at photos on his wall of him when he still had hands and then goes down to the kitchen for some milk. I wonder if these were actual photos of the guy because he looks younger. Like yeah. it's, it's him holding a football and him playing basketball and stuff, you know, do, doing the things that hands require. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if these were real photos. And just him looking at them, the scene lingers while he watches and he really does look like a different person. Yeah. When he had hands, it's like, oh, this was this was a completely different era of his life. Yeah, I mean, you see him on, on pictures. He he's got a smile on his face. Like we've rarely in the entire movie, we've rarely seen him with a smile on his face. Yep. Uh, and then he goes down to the kitchen for some milk. As he pours it, Wilma knocks on the door, and Homer lets her in. She tells him her family is trying to send her away tomorrow because they think he doesn't want her around, and if she's away for a while, she might get all this out of her mind. Maybe that's a good idea, says Homer, looking at the floor. Is that what you want? asks Wilma. I want you to be free, replies Homer. I don't want you to be tied down forever, just because you've got a kind heart. Wilma insists she really loves him. And he insists she doesn't know what it would really be like to live with him. He tells her he's about to go to bed, and he wants her to come up with him and see what happens. They go up together, and Homer takes his robe off and removes his hooks. They, you get a shot of them like slowly going upstairs together and then mm-hmm. going into his room. And he takes his robe off, and he removes his hooks. And this is the first and only time you ever get to see him without his hooks on in the movie. Yes. We actually get to see the, the stumps of his arms. I can wiggle into my pajama top, he tells her. I'm lucky I have my elbows. Some of the other boys don't. But I can't button my top. Wilma gently tells him she'll do it, and Homer says this is when he knows he's helpless. When his hands are down there on the bed, he can't put them back on without help. He can't smoke a cigarette or read a book. If his door blows shut, he can't open it again and get out. He's like a baby that can't get anything without crying for it. He tells her that now she has an idea of what it's like to live with him, 
and that she should go on home and take the trip like her family said. Instead, Wilma tells him she loves him and she'll never leave him and gives him a kiss. He says he loves her too, and after a hug, she helps him get into bed and gives him one more kiss goodnight, and then she leaves. Uh, and then we get a close-up of Homer's face as a single tear rolls down his cheek. That was really well done. I love that. I really love that shot of him and seeing the, the tear coming down. Oh, I think this was hands down the best scene in the entire movie. Yeah. And then, yeah, this scene of, of them together in the bedroom was so vulnerable. Yeah, because you see the looks on her face, too, where she's she's not afraid, she's not shy, but she she looks genuinely like somebody who's who wants to understand and see everything and see the parts of him that she hasn't seen yet so that she can make her decision. But at the same time, her decision is already made. Yep. It's just, it's a scene where she's there for him physically and emotionally to show that she's here to stay yeah it's it's when homer finally reveals the like full depth and weight yeah of what he's been feeling and how his fear and how other people see him and how hard it is to grapple with how helpless he is like that's been his whole thing throughout this movie is uh he has to do it himself and he wants people to to treat him just like anyone else and uh, this is finally him admitting to the person that he loves the most that he isn't like everyone else anymore and that there are things he can't do like when his hands are down there on the bed yeah his hands are removable now and then when he doesn't have them he can't put them back on Yeah. yeah this this scene was beautiful in just its its rawness and its humanity I really, I really enjoyed the fact that they really, this is the one character to me where they really, um, went all in, in showing his troubles and actually resolve, not resolving his troubles, but just having some sort of emotional resolution to what he's feeling and and being vulnerable with the people he loves completely with i don't i didn't get the same feel with all and fred yeah it's i think it's probably one of the best and most respectful depictions of disability i've ever seen oh yes yeah yeah it would be so easy for this to become like ham-fisted or corny or melodramatic but they handle it so well yeah because she doesn't ask any questions she's not she's just here to witness what's happening she's just patiently looking at how he does it and just she listens to him without she doesn't intrude on his disability no i think she's just patiently and lovingly witnessing him being who he is now yeah and you can just even though like i never had any doubt that she would stick with him and even knowing that and being sure of it you can still feel just the terror of having to reveal how vulnerable you are to somebody else yeah and just like even the idea that they could uh, reject you after it yeah 
you are being tearful right now. What's making you tearful? Just the vulnerability about uh, of that scene? Yeah, it was a great scene. Yeah, it was. It was very human. In a, a way you don't see uh, in film a lot. Fade out. And when we come back, we get a quick shot of people waiting in an unemployment line. Uh, I think Fred's in the line. Yes. Yeah, but you don't get a close-up of him or anything. It's just, you just see the, the uh, an above shot of everyone in the line. Yeah. Uh, and then we're at Fred's apartment, where Marie is assuring a man we've never seen before not to worry. Her husband did out, is out job hunting and won't be back for hours. Mm. On cue, Fred walks in the door and immediately knows what's up. <laughs> he just sees the guy sitting there and stops. Uh, Marie tries to pretend the man is an old friend that's just visiting, but Fred growls at him to get out. And Marie tells uh, the guy to go wait in the lobby for her. <laughs> yeah, again, we're fooling absolutely nobody. Yeah, we have this little exchange about uh, the guy for, at first tries to shake Fred's hand, but Fred just doesn't go for it and goes, nice to meet you. Get out. <laughs> and then uh, the the strange man uh, looks to Marie and says, uh, oh, well, well, should I smack him now? And uh, Fred goes, what are you looking at her for? Can't make your own decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Fred's good at being a, a tough guy. Need to be told what to do. Yep. Can't think for yourself. <laughs> uh, so she tells him to go wait in the lobby. Uh, and then she walks over to her vanity and applies makeup while she tells Fred that she's given him every chance to make something of himself. But he's flopped. He couldn't even hold the job at the drugstore. She's going back to work so she can live for herself. And in case he doesn't understand English, that means she's getting a divorce. Good, so he won't have to do it by himself. Yep. What do you have to say to that, she says. I'm like, let's pop the champagne over this. Uh, and she says, what do you have to say to that? Don't keep your friend waiting, replies Fred. <laughs> Uh, she leaves, and Fred looks at the picture of him and Peggy, and uh, he rips it in half first, so it'll just be the portion with him and Peggy, yeah. but then he rips the whole thing up. Yeah. Uh, then we see him back at his father's shack, uh, packing his things uh, and heading for the airport, despite his father trying to convince him to stay. And then he also gives like his official papers for his uh, decorations to his parents. Mm-hmm. Cause his dad has him like, oh, what's these? And he's like, oh, that's just some paperwork about my decorations. Like, you can have it if you want. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, then at the airport, he asks for the soonest plane headed east. Doesn't matter where. And then wanders around a nearby plane graveyard while he waits for his flight. And this is the coolest scene in the whole movie the most visually interesting because mm -hmm. we just get a bunch of shots of this airplane graveyard where it's just like to the horizon it's just plain carcasses like the whole bodies and then there's like a whole row of row multiple rows of just propellers sitting on the ground and they're all lined up neatly because they have so many of them that was actually shot in an actual uh plane graveyard in ontario california oh yeah there was way too many of them for those to be be just props like yeah. th there's hundreds and hundreds of them and we just get this yeah slow tour as he just walks through it and yeah i guess the uh the visual metaphor is uh he's a, a beat up old wreck now too <laughs> He belongs in the junkyard. Yeah. And also, at some point, I didn't put put it down on the synopsis, but we cut back to his dad actually looking at the papers and reading them. Mm -hmm. And he reads one out uh, to Hortense out loud, which just basically uh, describes, I think, Fred crawling through some burning wreckage to save some people. Yes. Is why he got the medal. So yeah. it's just 
underlining the fact at, at this point in the movie that Fred actually is a hero and nobody's giving him the credit for it. And uh, he's so humble that he's not even telling people why he got the medal. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was signed by a, a general or something. Mm-hmm. It was like a, a personal decla- declaration from a general. Yeah. And his dad is almost in tears while he's reading it. Yeah, and that's a, a nod back also to his uh, PTSD dream yes. that he had because in his dream he was uh, he was yelling out, get out, get out. And you, here you understand that, yeah, he was um, probably dreaming about that, about uh, having to having to drag people out of a burning building or something. Yeah, in the scene when his wife is getting upset about eating at home, she asks him about the dream and he tells mm. her, because uh, he calls out a name yes. uh, recurringly when he has the dream, and he tells her that it was a, a buddy of his in the war that got shot down yeah. like over the ocean or something. <laughs> so he wanders through the plane graveyard and he finds uh, the model of plane that he used to fly in, and he crawls up into it, sitting in the nose, Uh, and sweating while dramatic music plays he's you know clearly having war flashbacks and he just sits there and uh, the music swells and you can see him actually begin to start sweating Mm. which may just be the the temperature of the plane having been in uh, the guts of a lot of military planes i can tell you it is swelteringly hot in in the inside of them a lot of the times it's just a damn oven Uh, his flashbacks are interrupted when someone notices him in the plane and he crawls out and speaks to them speaks to the man who turns out to work for a company that's using the planes to build housing. Uh, He manages to convince the man to give him a job, and we jump from there straight to Homer and Wilma's wedding. So he... Uh, he talks to this guy, and uh, it's almost the same uh, line of questioning that he got when he applied to the drugstore. The guy's like, well, do you have any experience with this t- kind of work? But uh, this time Fred does a little bit of a better job by saying, well, no, I don't have any experience, but uh, I can learn to do just the, this job just like I uh, learned to do that job, he yeah. says, as, he, as he points at the plane. Yeah. So he's advocating for himself better in this instance, and he gets the job, and which also means that he's changing his plans to run out east and start over. Yep. Go from there to Homer and Wilma's wedding, which is happening at uh, Homer's parents' house. They're not in a church or anything. They're just in one of their houses. And uh, we enter the scene with uh, Butch at the piano, and he's coaching the children, like all of Homer's sister's friends, on how yeah. to how to sing uh, the wedding song properly and yeah. like what notes to hit and what the timing is. And uh, yeah. So when the bride starts down the stairs, we'll start on this note, and then uh, you'll pick it up, and you'll pick it up, and then we'll all just keep being, yeah. Homer and Fred stand on the porch smoking, and Al joins them, still slightly awkward uh, around Fred, but is slowly getting over it. He uh, He's drinking punch, and uh, he makes some comment about how there's no alcohol in it. He's like, oh, it's just for the kids I see. And they, uh, <laughs> Millie comes out at some point, and she's like, oh, Al, you said you wouldn't drink. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just an old couple. Yes. There's also a scene when they were uh, leaving for that banquet they went to. Uh, she uh, heads for the door first, and she does the... Like, Al, we're going to be late. Like, yeah, they're just, yeah. I have seen so many old people like this. (laughs) Ed, Ed, (laughs) that kind of thing. (laughs) We're going to be late, Ed. You said you wouldn't drink, Ed. (laughs) They're already there. Uh, Inside, uh, Peggy approaches Fred, and he tells her about his new job in the junk business. Also, they're out on the porch. uh, Homer tells Fred that, he was uh, scared he wouldn't be there because he heard he was leaving town. And yeah. Fred reiterates that he would stand up for him anytime, anytime, anywhere. I enjoy the camaraderie between them. Yeah. 
the the camaraderie between all three of them is really nice. It never really wavers aside from Ed and Al, you know. And even then, that it was all very respectful. Honestly, yeah. it was there was no argument. No, nobody raised their voice. There was a little bit of a threat to take it outside, but other than that, it's still they handle each other with a respect. Yeah. So he tells Peggy he's in the junk business now, uh, but their conversation is cut short by the wedding ceremony starting, and we watch the whole thing. Yep. Like. The, all the vows we listen to the music as she comes down the stairs yeah, here comes the bride yep here comes the bride and then the whole like repeat after me do you take this man to be a fluffy white husband for sicker for poor for better for worse the whole thing for both of them yes but i did enjoy that because it's also a moment when we slow down and look uh we get a look also at homer being able to do the whole thing also like he you see the skills that he has because he's able to put the ring on her with his hooks and i enjoyed the, uh, that we uh, would see him do it and people witnessing that yes he's got hooks but he can uh, he can do anything that uh, anybody else uh, can do and that's that's not easy like uh, to hold a small ring like yeah. that like I've definitely, you know, fumbled with uh, uh, with our rings when we were getting ready uh, to get married. So I understand the difficulty of it, and I still have both my hands. Oh, yeah. He's incredibly uh, dexterous and skilled with his hooks throughout the entire movie, which is why you can tell when he dropped that drink that he had to do it on purpose because yes. he's so skilled with them otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't bother me that we watched the whole thing. It was just like, oh, wow, we're, we're going to do the whole thing. <laughs> they're not uh they're not cutting anything out yeah and yeah he has to like pick it up initially and then like balance it on his wrist while he readjusts so he mm-hmm. can he can have enough space to put it on her finger yeah i was a little disappointed he didn't get his own ring hook though he doesn't get anything yeah they don't put anything on his hooks yeah. I, I was wondering if they're going to and they don't we watched the whole ceremony that i think that's the longest wedding ceremony i've seen in a movie i don't keep track of that yeah because, yeah, they just they usually just cut right to the end where they're saying their vows. But we see the the whole bride approaching and then vows on both their parts and the ring ceremony. Yep. The whole palooka. After Homer and Wilma kiss, the crowd gathers around the happy young couple, all except Fred and Peggy, who take the opportunity to make out while no one is looking. They, you can see just the whole crowd like surges forward, but and Peggy's just left there staying by herself. As so is Fred, and they make eye contact, and he just moves over to her, and they start kissing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they separate, and Fred tells Peggy he has no money and no house. It's going to take some time for them to get anywhere. The end. <laughs> And she's fine with it. Yeah, it was very, yeah, it was a weirdly abrupt ending for like how much space they gave everything else in the movie to breathe. It's just that <laughs> I have nothing and I own nothing. It's going to be really hard for a while and then just fade to the end to black. Yeah. <laughs> or or fade, fade to black at the end. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't respond in any way. Like it doesn't upset her, obviously. No. She's still smiling and all that, but it's just a weird note to end on this. Like, yeah. My life is kind of screwed up right now, but, you know, and it's going to be a while before things get better. Because they mentioned when he's on the porch that he's moved back in with his parents. Yes. So, yep. Yeah, but he's working, uh, he's working on it and 
she knows like the the value of she knows the value of work she knows that whatever he's doing now that's something he chose not something that was forced onto him yep and that she's happy for him she seems you know happy that he's found something that he can be proud of and that she can be proud of him also for making that choice for himself yeah so what did you think of the best years of our lives oh, i forgot to mention there was a title drop when they're uh between fred and marie when they're arguing and yeah. she's uh she's doing her final uh, speech about what a loser he is and how she's going to divorce him she says that she gave him the best years of her life right. so that we get the title drop then which i also didn't really understand why she said that because well sort of uh, because he was gone for most of their marriage yeah and she had she had all the time that uh, she wanted to do whatever she wanted so I'm, i've i've heard that a lot the 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 best years of my life like because she com- waited for him complain no it's because you'll never be that young again and so you spent your youth with uh, a certain person so they got those years and no one else can get them now I will never be that young again. I I spent my I spent my peak with you, and now I'm on the uh, the decline, and I'll never get to have another peak with anyone else. Yeah, well. And which she, the, I don't know how old they are, but she's in her like early to mid twenties. Like, no, <laughs> you're not past your peak. Knock it off. No, and also like nobody forced her to marry him anyway. Oh, like yeah. you made your choices. Yeah, it's just so it's not what she expected. Yeah, exactly. Expectation is just a relationship killer. That's exactly what we were talking about the other day when we're listening to that podcast. Are premeditated disappointments. Yeah. Only yourself to blame. Exactly. What'd you think of it? It was a little bit more slow paced than I usually enjoy, but I also understand why they're taking their time on a lot of scenes. Yep. And I I really enjoyed the like the minutiae like you were talking about. I enjoy that we're taking the time to know these characters and know what their lives look like because that's the point it's really looking at three different lives and for three men who've seen a lot of shit during the war and who have to really readjust to their old life but it's not really their old life it's yeah and their new life their new their old new life that they have to really rehabilitate in figure out how they they fit yeah. When they get back home. Yeah. Yeah. I. The characters and the interactions between people in this movie were among some of the most realistic I've ever seen in any movie. They were so good at just writing ordinary everyday people. Yeah. Like that's the, the suspension of disbelief I have when watching not just movies, but like any kind of fiction. It's just like real people don't act like this. This is not how people talk. This is not how people interact. This is this is movie people bullshit, right? Yeah, we've definitely talked about that on, on the podcast before where you, yeah. you, you have a, a big speech and you're like, yeah, this is definitely a Hollywood speech. This yeah, is this not is, a real people this speech. This is Hollywood nonsense, but everyone in this movie just acts like a person. And they just talk like people and they're awkward like people are. Yep. And it's 
yeah, this movie falls into the category uh, for me of, man, this movie was great, and man, I don't ever want to watch it again because it's so long. <laughs> but I was I was really impressed. Yeah. With how authentic everyone felt, and just yeah, this. It felt like I was in the '40s, and I love time capsule stuff like that. I love getting glimpses into realities that don't exist anymore. Yeah. My one complaint about the movie already would be that it still feels to me like we stayed a lot at the surface of their troubles. It feels like they're trying to address every single issue that a veteran could have. But without diving deep into it. Yeah, without getting too deeply into any of them, except for the disability one. Yes. That's uh, that's why I was talking about earlier that I feel like Fred... uh, Not Fred. That Homer is the only one where I feel there is a an arc completion for him because yes. we know the troubles we see the troubles we see the his him dealing with his you know troubles with Wilma and actually making it to the other side where he knows that she accepts in uh, accepts him his disability and that she knows what kind of life they're gonna have yes homer's out of the three of them homer's story is hands down the best one yeah rather than for fred we see his troubles at the bank and we see also his uh, dealing with alcoholism, which... You mean Al? Al. Yeah, I keep confusing Al, Al the alcoholic. Al the alcoholic. We see his troubles, but it's not really addressed apart from Millie's uh, exasperation sometimes. Yeah, he feels different from the other two in that he doesn't have a central problem. Like, Fred has his marriage, yeah, and Homer has his hands and his relationship with his, but there's no problems in Al's relationship. He's an alcoholic, but that's not... It's not really addressed. It, no, it's not an issue the movie is at all interested in addressing. It's just, like, a fact of who he is. Yeah. Like, he was that way before the war, and now he's that way after the war. Yeah. And it's, it, yeah, there's no... There's nothing he overcomes. He doesn't have a problem like the other two do. Like, they kind of gesture towards stuff where, like, oh, he can see how veterans are having problems getting loans at the bank, but there's no follow-up or conclusion to that. And, like, how he doesn't... He feels like he's being rushed to get back into his job, but that never really goes anywhere either. And how his wife is kind of exasperated by his drinking and revelry, but, revelry, but that never gets resolved either like at the very end of the movie she's like oh al you said you wouldn't drink like they're still like nagging each other about it like he doesn't he doesn't have a core problem like the other two do and it it, it just makes him stick out in a weird way from the other two like what what what's al's problem that he's solving like he why why is he the third character or like instead of just hinting at it just uh, go all the way into it and and go to the core of his alcoholism and and deal with it i just i don't know that people at the time were we just came off the lost weekend uh, yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah i also don't know that there was a good system at the time to deal with people's ptsd oh no so there there was i don't even know if they had the term back then i think they called it being shell-shocked yeah 
So there's no way for uh, Fred and Al to deal with their PTSD. Like Fred with his dreams, his nightmares, and then Al to get the to the root of it, of his need to drink. Yeah, yeah, Al. Yeah, what was Al like? He was slightly awkward with his family, but that's not nearly to the level of the problems the other two characters had. Yeah. So. Yeah, Al sticks out in a, in a weird way. He did a fantastic job playing that character. Like I said, yeah. the interactions between him and Millie, that that just felt like a half a dozen couples I've met in real life that just, <laughs> you know, are playful and, and nag at each other like that. Yeah. Boy, you got tough. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that line. Yeah, and Homer's story was amazing. Fred was great. We don't see Homer as much as the other no, two. No, he's but... the one you see the least of, Yeah, which might help towards him being the the best story because all the other ones just drag on too much although i didn't it didn't bother me that we don't see him as much no it didn't bother me the just the the minutiae and all the everyday you know things you see people going through like it drove me nuts in mrs minerva Mm -hmm. but in miniver miniver (laughs) god damn it i did it again (laughs) nothing changes I'm the same piece of shit I've always been. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mrs. Miniver, it yeah, it it was driving me crazy and also in uh going my way, just how slow and plotting that movie was. But with this one I just hit this zen enlightenment yeah. with it where I was just like I just live in this movie now. I'm just I'm in I'm in the 40s and uh, sure I'll watch this guy drink some alka seltzer and uh, see this guy go into a drugstore and look at all the like uh, 12 cent baby powder like yeah I just I live here now and it's fine yeah but in Mrs. Miniver and in going my way again like the dialogues the way people interact with each other was not as authentic yeah in Mrs. Me. in Mrs. Miniver you're absolutely right they, it bugged me because they were movie people like I was yeah. talking about they were just they were me uh, written to be generic and bland and anyone can relate to them and it made them just boring and miserable to watch whereas here they are written to be ordinary people Mm -hmm. but ordinary people have their own you know eccentricities to them and idiosyncratic things they do and normal people have personalities they're just you know normal personalities yeah so it it did a, a an amazingly good job of uh capturing the complexity of the mundane yeah yeah i enjoyed also the depiction of certain moments in al's family like when peggy tells them about tells them about fred and all that that they They feel like a family they can actually talk to each other yeah that's something it's something small and it can seem trivial to uh, other people but it just I always enjoy a realistic and I don't know what a good word is for that, but just a yeah, a depiction of, of a family that gets along and it doesn't seem forced. It doesn't seem exaggerated. It feels like the way family talks to each other. Yeah, you can see even see how Al and his wife have different ways of uh, navigating interactions with their kids. Yes. When they're... Uh, well, when Peggy is first admitting that she has feelings for Fred, uh, and she says the, well, I know what the both of you are thinking. Al's first response is, uh, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. And eh. 
his wife goes, oh, shut up, Al. (laughs) (laughs) You're full of shit. Yeah. And then starts talking about it. So she's the more, like, uh, wise of the two, I guess. The the more, like, streetwise or, you know... Well, yeah, more comfortable like, talking about emotional topics. Yeah, and she also feels more like somebody who addresses uh, emotions heads on yep. instead of him kind of retrieving a little bit. Yeah, she is just a, a different person than than him. Yeah, in a very believable way. Yeah, yeah, I like this movie a lot. I had, I'm not gonna lie, I had trouble putting it on my list just because, like I said, it was slower than i usually like and had some complaints about yeah about how much we stay at the surface of uh, of some of their troubles instead of really showing everything that that's going on uh, they with were, them like they were trying to do too much they were trying yeah. to to show every potential problem a veteran could have mm. and if they had just focused on a few like they did with Homer, yeah, I think it yeah. would have been a better yeah, better movie overall. But they did focus on it with Homer and Man. Man, those pieces are good. Yeah, I'm not one to usually notice the quality of a performance, usually. It has to be really, really good for me to, to notice it. And man, Homer's performance was, it's one of the best movie performances I've ever seen. Like, there are definitely times when you can hear that he's not an actor because his intonation, it almost, he doesn't speak with a normal intonation. Like a lot of his sentences, his intonation is kind of rising up as if he was asking questions. So you can, you can see that he's not an actor, but it, it, it didn't bother me. No, It's there, just something that I noticed about his performance, but it didn't bother me. There's enough earnestness and rawness there to just overcome everything else and just all the more impressive that he's not a a trained actor that was just raw talent yeah yeah i liked it amazing performance he was only in two other movies after this and they were way afterwards too it was like in the 80s and 90s i found sort of six credits for him one was actually in 1945 when he was in a documentary called the diary of a soldier i believe um and he was just himself yep. being presented you know he already had his hooks and and all that and that's actually how uh, the director William Wyler discovered him and and decided to have him for the role i found another yeah four acting credits after this one he was in two but, movies in a tv show yeah he was in uh, two episodes of a tv show and two two movies the last one was in 1992 yep and he wrote two books oh that i didn't know yep one of them was entitled The Best Years of My Life after the film. Yeah. Hell of a performance. Yeah. Still, I put it on my list below The Lost Weekend. <gasps> I, when taking everything into account, uh, I love the story. I love the characters. But there was a little bit of like cinematic technique that was missing to me there was oh, nothing yeah. particular about cinematographically about uh there was nothing that was particular to this movie yeah it's why the the plain graveyard sticks out so much in this movie because there's just nothing else like it in the whole thing yeah 
It's the only scene you get that's really visually interesting. Yeah, and that's just visually interesting, but there's not, there's no yeah, particular it, techniques that are like fading in or fading out or any special effects or anything like that. So yeah, there's no even with the plain graveyard, like they're just showing the graveyard as it is. Yeah, they're not. It's just a the interest is uh, the graveyard itself that they had no part in making. It's just oh, here's the cool location. Let's film it for you. Yeah. So right now on my list, it sits between uh, The Lost Weekend and Mrs. Miniver. So The Best Years of Our Lives is my number 12. Number 12. Let's see my list. It's better than Cavalcade. For me, is it better than How Green... It's better than How Green Was My Valley. For me, just the strength of, of Homer's performance. So facing the... The same uh, spot you got to, is it better than The Lost Weekend? It's just that The Lost Weekend is much higher on my list. Yeah. Is it better than The Lost Weekend? Uh, Lost Weekend had strong experimentation with the cinematography. Not as not as vulnerable, though. I really liked Homer's performance in his story. That was... Especially that that scene with him where he takes off his hooks. That was... That was a really great scene. Hmm. Is it better than Rebecca? Is it better than Grand Hotel? Yeah, the The more I wrote about it and the more I th- uh, think about it, the more uh, I realize how much I, I like that movie, especially Homer's parts and just how, yeah, how authentic it was and how realistic and how uh, a look back into what life was actually like in the 40s. It it didn't feel like it was a movie depiction of the 40s. It just felt like the 40s, yeah. which I really enjoyed. It's a movie that, to me, is really aware of what its time was like. Yes. Yes. A window into the past. Which does not often ha- happen, even on, like, other cinematographic masterpieces that, that are period uh pieces this one felt to me like it was it had a real awareness of what it meant to have gone to war and come back which makes sense because it was written you know based on the works of uh, a former war correspondent who definitely must have a seen some shit and seen people who were having who were having a lot of struggles so yeah, it, it had a its own atmosphere and felt like it, it was really aware of its time. I think this is my new number three. All right. Better than uh, Rebecca, even. Because Rebecca is number three off the, the strength of its visuals, for the most part. Yeah. The best years of our lives. So now my top five is Casablanca at number one. Number two, The Grand Hotel. Number three, The Best Years of Our Lives. Number four, Rebecca. And number five, The Lost Weekend. How Green Was My Valley has dropped out of the top five. Uh, Never to be there again. Mm. 40s have been really strong so far. Yeah. Yeah. The Grand Hotel. I still like place movies a whole lot, though. <laughs> Time to place with the, the wandering spirit of the hotel. Yeah. Number three on my list oh what's next uh the next one is called gentleman's agreement oh boy gentleman's agreement what in the world is that gonna be about that almost sounds like it's about a duel or something 
Yeah, I'm imagining two men uh, trying to conquer the same woman. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Two uh, two friends, especially oh. two oh. friends, uh, falling in love with the same woman and making a, a deal not to pursue her uh, actively pursue her and uh letting her making her own decision all is fair in love and war something along those lines sure yeah <clears throat> we'll see no 40s have been strong so far stronger for me than for you but and it's just some good like really good movies i still uh, see the the value in them and the and what they're presenting i feel like we've gotten a lot stronger writing Oh, for sure. Yeah, much better characterization. Yes. Yeah. Anything else? No, I think uh, that's all all I had to say about it, uh, about this movie. Yeah, that was a good one. Too long, but still really good. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for listening. See you next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Okay, that's it, that's it, that's it.